ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Damage Counter Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Pokemon trading card game. You got Phelan over here. And you got Josh over here. And I was doing a good job remembering what episode we're on, but now I forgot. I think it's episode 39? That sounds right to I, me. I think that's right. Uh, y'all, y'all can check. It's down there. I'm going to roll with episode 39, and if I'm wrong, I'll just <laughs> sound stupid, and it'll be really funny. Uh, we've got a great episode lined up for you, as always. We're going to be talking about Radiant Charizard in our Card of the Day segment. Of course, we've got a little bit of news to talk about. Uh, finally talking about Lugia V-Star in our 60-card showcase. You'd think that would be one that we would have covered sooner, uh, given how broken that deck is, or was. Uh, kind of took us a while to get there, I suppose. But uh, And to top it all off, we'll be talking about our thoughts on the translations for Obsidian Flames, or rather Japan's Ruler of the Black Flame set. Uh, the entire set list has been revealed in Japan. We have translations, and we're here to give you our thoughts at the top of the show, so stay tuned for that. But until then, Josh, my man, what have you been up to? Uh, you know, the usual for the most part. I've uh, been playing uh, quite a few like video games, I'm going to be honest, because there's just a lot of stuff coming out right now. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I've been juggling a lot of that. I uh, ordered some cards for Gardevoir. That's about all I've done Pokemon-wise. Just, you know, getting it up to date to the current format and making some changes that I've uh, sussed out playing a little bit of live. It's taken me a while to do it and decide just because I'm going to be honest. And I don't want to go too far into this because I know it's a hole we always go down. I just can't stand playing live enough to, like, test Gardevoir stuff to decide what I want to do in paper. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, it's been kind of a struggle. It's it's just been rough, I'm not going to lie. But uh, I've settled on kind of what I have what I have for right now, so I've ordered some cards. Uh, along with just some staples from the current set, you know, a couple, four copies of Iano and stuff like that. Stuff I'm gonna, I know I'm going to need now and in the future. Yeah, just cover up that buy list a little bit. Yep, yep. I've uh, I've come to realize it's the best way to do it. I'm going to be honest. If you Dude, especially... know what your staples are, just go ahead and order full sets. And if you can, order multiple sets. It's just going to make your life easier. Dude, especially with like Scarlet and Violet, and it's just insanely sh- like good pull rates. Like starting with base set Scarlet and Violet, I've just been buying like four copies of every card that I think that i might want to play uh and that dude it's been like like for paldea evolved i bought like 35 different play sets and only cost me like 160 bucks and that was like not too long after the set came out either which was pretty awesome so yeah buying singles is so good it's so good it really is i'm a i'm honestly pretty much firmly in the camp of uh, I don't buy a whole bunch of, like, unopened product, and I just buy a lot of singles for things. Because I just think it's easier, if I think I'm interesting, interested in something, if I just buy the singles and have it, if it actually comes around and I want to play it, it's there. You know, if you buy a lot of product, you get a lot of cards, you get you get cool stuff out of it, and there's always that rush of opening product, but I I just think it's honestly a lot better to buy singles. Yeah, I think for me, is like, you know, you go to your locals, you get packs from locals, and, you know, maybe you do side events and regionals and stuff like that. 
if you just like open all the stuff that you get from competition then like you get to open enough to have that like fun of opening the packs while still just having the singles that you bought right because you didn't have really really technically have to spend any money on the booster packs that you won or got as entry packs or whatever right yeah because that's not the reason you were going there anyway for those people yeah Yeah. right right yeah yeah so that's kind of how i did it and i mean yeah like you said like you just if you just want to build something it's there right like i i got home from naic was interested in the uh chin pow list that got top 16 and so i just i just built it because I had the mm-hmm. Baxes and I had the Chin Pals. I didn't have the deck built because I wasn't interested in playing it before then. But I, I bought them as singles because I knew they were going to be good. And I knew that there was a possibility I was going to play it. So let me just buy them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a Chin Pow deck now. I was like, this is great. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, that's a, that's a little bit of a tangent there. But uh, uh, besides that, the only other thing I think I want to talk about is... Uh, I don't remember if I mentioned it on the last episode. But I started my first playthrough of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon uh explore the skies and about eight hours in i've been playing it kind of slow just when i'm going to bed at night it's mm. like a whole game to just like unwind with you know it's chill for the most part i mean the game is hard but, it, but can it's chill. it can be yeah it's chill for the most part it's fun and i'm actually enjoying the story way more than i thought i was going to i feel like actually I, last night, dude, I paused my YouTube video just so I could read better. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, dude, honestly, it, it it might be the best Pokemon story ever. Like, mm-hmm. it is phenomenal. Oh, so far, I think I'd have to agree. I'm actually, like, super interested in it. You know, I played the first one, and the first one definitely isn't bad. It's a good game. But uh, Explorers of the Sky is, like, another level. Yeah, it, it there's there is not a game like uh, Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Time, Darkness, and Sky. Like those games are. Whew, we're gonna have to bonus mm. episode that one of these days. But... <laughs> you have to be sick. Oh, but uh, anyway, uh, that about wraps it up for me. What have you been up to? Uh, surprisingly, a lot of the same stuff. To be honest. Um, I, I get uh, this is one of those things. I don't think I mentioned it on the last episode, but after NAIC, I uh, was it was taking a Pokemon break. You know, I'm really just doing the bare minimum, not the bare minimum. I want to say, but like I'm in the game enough to produce the podcast, but not really much else. So not really been going to locals, not been playing in online tournaments, not been playing live, which is the best part of all that. Um, you know, I just kind of been taking a step back from the game after taking the whole season to compete and grind and, you know, try to figure all that stuff out. It was nice. There were there were moments in that little two-week break where I was, like, I was like itching my arms. I was like, man, I kind of want to play the game again. It's just I'm like thinking of decks and stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. Take a break. It'll be all right. But uh, came back uh, to my locals. I had a league challenge uh, this past weekend. Uh, played Lugia V-Star uh, in preparation for this episode, but uh, also a few other reasons. Managed to get second place, um, so not too bad there. Second place at a challenge, I am A-OK with that. My only loss being the Guardi. Uh, checks out, you know, BDIF. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's been uh, been playing some video games on my end too. Uh, most notably Mario's Picross. <laughs> nice. I have never played Picross before, but mm-hmm. this game is really fun, actually. 
And I was, I, it was just one of those things. It's like, I don't like usually ever go into puzzle games because I'm like really bad at them. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, I, I was in the mood for like something just quick and easy to pick up. And I was just like, okay, a Mario game is like, you know what? Let me try this. Let me see what all the hubbub is about. And I loaded it up on the uh, Super Nintendo app on the Switch, which is kind of funny, all things considered. That game is 100% in Japanese, so I can't read any of it. So I was watching the tutorial, and I was like, weirdly, I get this. I don't need to read this. I'm watching the demonstration. I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been I've been tinkering away at some of those levels, been having a good time with that. Um, nice been getting back into a little bit of rng manipulation in uh pokemon games which is always a good time um you know just hanging out and uh you know like i said i'm going back to locals now so i'm getting a little bit back into the card game picking up the meta trying out different decks stuff like that um not really eyeballing any of the nearby regionals for the time being uh a lot of the regionals i'm putting on hold just till i get some personal and professional stuff out of the way but Gotta keep my yeah, eyes still, on them anyway. Still just taking a semi-break. Still, you know, you can go to your locals, play tournaments, and still have fun. And still be taking a break from the game, technically. Or at least just shifting down a bit for a while. Yeah, that, that's kind of the approach I'm taking, is that, like, okay, you know, I'll go to locals, I'll go to a league challenge, a league cup, if it's nearby. Um, but for the time being, I ain't got plans for regionals this season. We'll see if that changes. You know, maybe maybe things work out really well for me, and then you know, I can, I can just go back sooner than I expect to, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for our weeks. Why don't we get into uh, Why don't we get into our card of the day segment? We got an interesting one. Uh, we figured, you know, Obsidian Flames is coming around. Big Man Charizard is the poster child of the set. It's got that darkness type, that shiny black coat. We felt there was no... Mm better time for us to talk about Radiant Charizard in our Card of the Day segment. I feel like you couldn't ask for a more fitting card, I guess, for our Card of the Day this week. Oh, yeah. uh, what with Obsidian Flames uh, just recently being revealed. It'll be uh, coming out in Japan next week. And then we should be getting it about a week or two after that, actually. Pretty quick turnaround there. So, what better time to talk about Radiant Charizard? Uh, probably one of the most playable Charizards I think the game has ever seen. Uh, it's not a dark type, but it is uh, in its shiny form. So, it's uh, at least it looks <laughs> like it's a dark type, right? <laughs> that is true. Yeah, no, no more thematic uh, appropriateness to cover Radiant Charizard in our card of the day. Radiant Charizard, a basic 160 HP fire-type Pokemon. Uh, of course, it being a Radiant Pokemon, you can only run one in your deck, and it's super powerful to boot. has the ability Excited Heart. This Pokemon's attack costs colorless less for each prize card your opponent has taken. And for one fire energy and four colorless energy, you, deal, com uh, you do Combustion Blast for 250 damage, and during your next turn, this Pokemon cannot use Combustion Blast. Oftentimes not a problem. 160 HP, while nice for a basic, is pretty frail in the grand scheme of things. So I don't really have to worry about that most of the time. But potentially being able to just belt out 250 or 280 if you have like a choice belt or some kind of damage modifier. Being able to just toss out 250 for potentially one, maybe two energy. 
that's just insane to think about, honestly. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this card is very useful. Yeah, and I've got, I mean, you know, it's seen play in just, like, so many decks ever since it came out. And it's kind of funny looking back, right? Like, when we were getting, like, the Pokemon Go reveals uh, and Radiant Charizard were revealed. You know, I had, like, it felt like the community was split. Like, oh, this is this is insane. And the other half of the community was like, this is this trash. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of funny looking back on that and then seeing just how much play this card ended up seeing. Uh, I mean, it got a pretty respectable finish in the Inteleon Radiant Charizard box deck at Worlds, uh, piloted by Ross Cawthon. That's the deck where it's just the Inteleon engine and it's just Radiant Charizard and you just, you, you go. And you recycle that Radiant Charizard as many times as possible because this is back before Lost City was a thing, so you didn't have to worry about that. It's just about recycling this guy as many times a game as you could and using the Inteleon uh, in the meantime, super sick deck. Of course, we saw the Radiant Charizard in Lost Box variants. Uh, I think that was the first, like, the first, like, super successful variant of Lost Box was based around the Radiant Charizard. Again, same concept. You get him out, you use him, he gets KO'd, you use Clara, you get him back, you use it again. Uh, you know, this time with Entourage of Cramorant and Sableye instead of the Intellion engine. Uh, and of course you had the ability to use the Mirage Gate to power it up a little sooner on uh, certain occasions if your deck was built for that. And I think more recently, uh, people might remember Radiant Charizard having a pretty prominent role in the Lugia V-Star decks before rotation. Just being that good uh, late-game cleanup, you just accelerate one energy to it. Actually, I mean, you could accelerate any amount of energy to it with Archeops, honestly. But uh, anytime you needed 250, 280 with a choice belt, Radiant Charizard was there. And Lugia was one of the few decks that didn't have to worry about how many prize cards were taken uh, to use it, which is kind of absurd to think about. But yeah, yeah this was... card is just brizzy broken, man. Yeah, like I said, it's it's really good. Just any kind of like one prizer deck or something. If you need a like late game monster, Radiant Charizard, your man, just swoops in, does two fifty, yeah, and swoops out. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, I'm out. I did my job. But honestly, it's not even like. And this is another cool thing, is that it's not even, like, limited by that fire-type energy cost, really. Because, you know, you really only need one. So is it really going to kill your deck to just throw in one fire energy? Or, even better, like, one to four luminous energy just to have that option in the late game? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more restrictive than being able to use it at three or four price cards. You know, like, maybe a fire toolbox deck would be able to do nowadays, but... Still, at the end of the day, you attach a Luminous Energy, which can be slotted into just about any deck for free, and you have Combustion Blast as an option. Maybe if your deck is lacking any kind of synergy with any other Radiant Pokemon, you know, like you just, boom, Radiant Charizard, Luminous Energy, there you go. You have you have a small package there that helps you in the late game. Pretty good, all things considered. Definitely. Yeah, so we absolutely love... Uh, Pokemon that can be used ubiquitously uh, across multiple archetypes. I think we've made it clear that that's a favorite for us here. 
The other notable thing about Radiant Charizard is that it's the only Radiant Pokemon that got two prints, which, of course, it is because it's Charizard, but, you know, <laughs> originally came out in Pokemon Go and got reprinted in Crown Zenith. Mm-hmm. Uh, much bigger fan of the Crown Zenith artwork, I'm not going to lie to you. Radiant Charizard flying through Path to the Peak, it looks like, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, there, there really is. I have to agree. I think that one's my favorite. I don't know, there's just something about it that adds a little extra charm. See, I, I think what it is, is that, to my knowledge, the only Radiant Pokemon that are actually like shown in environments, uh, like from the Pokemon world, is like this version of Radiant Charizard, the Crown Zenith print. Um... The Radiant Chargebug and then the Radiant Greninja. You know, he's just chilling on the rocks. Everyone, mm-hmm. like every other Radiant Pokemon just has like this generic background. Uh, kind of like kind of like a lot of the Ball Search cards. It's just like these generic, you know, non-distinct backgrounds. I like that. I mean, they're kind of cool. But <laughs> like, it's so much cooler to see the Pokemon just like, I don't know, just like interacting or existing in a... In a in an environment from the Pokemon world. I don't know. It's just always been a lot cooler to me. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I thought that was just really cool. But uh, pretty simple card of the day, this go-around. Not really much to go on here. Just Charizard doing Charizard things. A lot of energy, sometimes. A lot of damage. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a pretty simple one, but, I mean, Radiant Charizard does its job very well. And, uh, honestly... Like you said, it's not a very high commitment road to take, so, you know, if you're ever looking for a certain Pokemon, if, for certain decks or whatnot, Radiant Charizard's good to keep in mind if you need a strong backup attacker or something along those lines. Yeah, I feel like we'll be seeing Radiant Charizard packages in a lot of decks <laughs> up until it rotates. Definitely. Well, that's going to do it for our Card of the Day segment, Radiant Charizard. Let us know what you think of Radiant Charizard. Hit us up on Twitter at DamageCounter, DamageCounterPodcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. Or you can hit us up in our community Discord. Let us know what you think of Radiant Charizard and maybe suggest another card for Card of the Day. How does that work, Josh? Uh, You know, you can hit us up on uh, any of those ways Phelan just mentioned and just let us know what your favorite Pokemon card is. Uh, I always say it, but the only stipulation is it has to be an official Pokemon card. But besides that, we'll talk about anything. I think we've finally covered it all now, haven't we? We've covered all of the... Uh, I think the only thing we're missing is a tool card. And if you want to get like super specific, we haven't talked about basic energy either. <laughs> Ooh. They'll come a day, I'm sure. There we talk about come basic a day. energy. <laughs> I mean, it's got to happen eventually, right? Just like the contour of the leaf on this grass. Say <laughs> so you you joke about that. That is that is something that could could naturally come out of my mouth. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Anyway, uh, yeah, feel free to hit us up. Send us your favorite card. Uh, you got any stories or anything attached that to it? We love to hear about those. Yeah, we always say the stories are the best parts of these cards, really, but. Yeah, that's going to do it for our Card of the Day segment. And uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and just get right into the news. You know, like I've been saying, not a lot of tournaments going on. We're still in that interim period between the NAIC and the World Championships. So a couple of news stories. So let's get into it. All righty. 
light news week this go around or it's kind of funny right because like I, I end up dreading the news segment sometimes because of our bi-weekly schedule. There's usually a lot of news to talk about, but once again, we're in that lull period between NAIC and the World Championships where a lot of the cool announcements are being saved for Worlds. Uh, so it's a little bit quiet, even for a two-week time period. But we do have a few things to talk about, and we're going to start with the big one up front. Uh, probably the the largest news story to come out of the past two weeks and one that's got pe- people all riled up, and for good reason. Uh, Play Pokemon on Twitter on July 20th. Put out a tweet, just randomly out of nowhere. Just put out this this random tweet and says, Regretfully, the decision has been made to cancel the Yokohama Open. Please look forward to participating in fun side events and activities throughout World's Weekend. So, for those not in the know, every World Championship since, I want to say 2015, somewhere around that area, uh, has had an open, essentially a uh, open regional-sized event for competitors to enter and to earn points towards the next season, right? So if you were at Worlds as a spectator or if you played in day one of Worlds and you know didn't advance to the second day of competition, if you were there for whatever reason, you could sign up to play in the open, you could play in the tournament, and again, because it's Worlds and there's a lot of people there, it's usually like regional sized uh type tournaments uh and you get points towards the next season of competitive play it's a popular event it's one of the largest reasons why people go to the world championships uh despite having an invite or not to begin with right you don't have your invite you get to go you get to enjoy pokemon and you get to you know possibly get some points in the process it's very enticing for a lot of people to go to that and here we are a little under a month before the World Championships and the Yokohama Open is getting canceled with not really much of an explanation. Since this tweet has come out, Pokemon's not really come out and said anything more about it. They just said that it's canceled. That sucks, man. Yeah, I... It really does. And I feel like this would, like, have gone over smoother if there had been an explanation, you know? Just be more upfront and honest about why it has to be cancelled instead of just telling us it's cancelled. Yeah, and it it's it's even, like, hard to speculate, to be honest, right? Because I think, like, the first thing that people might think of is that, like, maybe they, there's just more people attending than they thought, but it's also, like, at the same time, like, well, this is the World Championships, you, you know it's gonna be big, but it's also in Japan... And that's really difficult for people to get to, especially, you know, those that, like, don't have an invite, you know, necessarily. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I I personally would be a little surprised if it had something to do with that, because I feel like that's something that they would have accounted for or something that they would have had a contingency plan for if it was, like, just the amount of people in the area. And... Of course, because this is in Japan, there was likely going to be like a lottery for it. That's how that's how they do all their stuff in Japan is through a lottery system. You enter into a lottery and then, you know, they select names out of the lottery. And if you win, you get to participate. And if you don't, then, you know, tough luck. Um, so I feel like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to speculate it because, I, I mean, really, it's pointless at this point with Pokemon. It could it could be anything. In all honesty, <laughs> but 
Uh, yeah, it's just, that's just rough, man. Because, I mean, again, this is Japan. It's people around the world are trying to get there. They've made plans, travel plans. A lot of people are going to Yokohama specifically for the Open. And now that they've paid for flights and hotels and spectator passes or what have you, and now they're kind of left hung out to dry in that way, right? Like, ugh, I don't know. It's it's yeah, weird. It, it, it really is, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Like, it just it really doesn't make much sense. I'm going to be honest. And yeah. I think that's the main problem. <laughs> yeah, in all honesty. And, like, I think what makes it even stranger is the fact that, like, you know, they had, like, a tournament structure and rules and everything laid out for it. Like, they, you know, they, they were going gung-ho on it and then just out yeah. of nowhere, gone. Uh, which is... Ugh. I just hope we get an explanation, honestly. Because this is too crazy of a move. I guess I don't get crazy of a move. I'm sure they had their reasons, whatever they were. But, like... What were they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it it just doesn't look good. Like like you said, these are like big spectacles. People put a lot of money into being able to attend these, and it just I don't know. Just to drop the bomb this late into it and be like, hey, we're not, you know, it's not happening. Yeah, super weird. And like I said, I just I just hope we get an explanation, right? Because. If you know, if there's a solid reason as to why, then it's like, okay, maybe it's not. You can that accept bad. it. Yeah, I mean, if there's a reason why or a solid reason why, I I can accept that. Like, you can still not be happy about it, but at least we know why it's not happening. Yeah, but that is what it is. Uh, so if you didn't know, now you know. The Yokohama Open has been canceled. Uh, so very unfortunate for all the attendees, but. You know, I, I I guess it is what it is. I guess I, I, Pokemon should do better about this stuff. They've always been kind of not great about communication, but you know, there's not really there's not really anything we're going to be able to do to stop it at this point. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. uh, for those going to Yokohama, hope you have a good time anyway. Uh, if it's your first time in Japan, or really, even if it's not your first time in Japan, I mean, I, I guess on the plus side, that gives you time to go explore, right? I mean, it's not all bad, but. It's pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so unfortunate uh, dropping of the ball there uh, for Pokemon. By the way, if y'all haven't already, I'm going to just say this. We got a ratio going down in the subtweets. My man's Ian Robb out there doing the work. Maybe go out there, help the cause. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, make, make the ratio happen. Anyway, anyway. Uh, On to some more brighter news. We have made it absolutely no secret that we are not very happy with Pokemon TCG Live. And I'm not going to take... This is not a seg, another segment that I'm using as an excuse to bash TCG Live. That's not what we're talking about. But fact of the matter is, it is a rather suboptimal online platform. And full disclosure, I did actually mean to talk about this in the news in the last episode. I just forgot to put it on our show, our show notes. My bad. We have Twinleaf.gg, an online TCG simulator, specifically Pokemon, uh, being completely run by a popular Minecraft YouTuber, Dan TDM, uh, who, fun fact, used to be a uh, 
pretty prolific Pokemon player, uh, Pokemon TCG player. Uh, so he's gathered a few community members, uh, namely uh, Jake Earhart, uh, Jared Grimes. Uh, they're developers of popular uh, Pokemon TCG web apps like Pokegear.app and Pokestat, uh, Pokestats.live, respectively. And uh, yeah, they're they formed a team. And there's more on the there's, there's more on the team. I, I I don't know everybody, but uh, there's more on the team than just those three. But they've. Uh, they've come together. They're working on an online web-based TCG simulator for us to play Pokemon. It's going to support retro formats and expanded and all these different uh, types of game modes and stuff like that. Um, we don't really know anything about it other than the fact that it exists um, and that they're working on it. So if you want updates, I would highly encourage you to go check out their Twitter account, at TwinLeafGG. I'll leave a link in the episode description. Check them out, because this is probably going to be a pretty big deal. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I really like this. I'm going to be honest. Uh, coming from a Yu-Gi-Oh! background way back in the day, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! does have some cool, like, fan-made resources to play the game. And I'm going to be honest, it's like, I'm pretty sure still is the best way to play those games. So if this gets off the ground and goes well, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, they're taking, uh, you know, speaking of Yu-Gi-Oh, they're, they're taking pretty heavy inspiration from the Limitless Tabletop app on Limitless TCG and Dueling Book, uh, which, you know, I mean, that, that is how we played Yu-Gi-Oh back when we were in high school. <laughs> so it, it will be kind of, I swear, if it ends up being like Dueling Book, basically just pokemon dueling book i'm gonna get on there i'm gonna start playing and it's gonna be so nostalgic in a weird way <laughs> it's gonna be really weird yeah uh definitely that i mean it's cool because like that was the ultimate way just to be able to play the game for free honestly it's mm. just it's it's so nice because you can try out so many decks you can do whatever you want it, it's just a good time all around honestly yeah, you've got all the cards from the get-go. Uh, there's, uh, the, I mean, it, in terms of dueling book, right? You had all the cards from the get-go. You had different lobbies for different formats, stuff like that. And I imagine that's what they're trying to emulate here. And, yeah. you know, say what you will about Pokemon TCG Live. Y'all know for a fact that I will. You know, that, I mean, that's one thing to be excited about, right? The fact that this could potentially be a better online experience at TCG Live, that's obviously something to be excited about. But personally, what I'm most excited about with this project is that it's going to have the entire game's history in, like, in this web app. You're going to be mm -hmm. able to play retro formats with proper rules in an online space. And that's what I'm most excited for. Because Definitely. I think... I think that's kind of, like, what, what kind of keeps retro out of, like, being, like, super popular. Because the best way to do it is, like, in paper or over webcam. And you got to get the cards. you got to print out proxies. Or you got to use some other web app, like Untap, which is not, not the worst thing in the world. But it is a little weird sometimes. You know, I think having, like, a place just, like, dedicated for Pokemon Retro is, like, what the retro scene needs. And I could not be more excited for it. I'm not going to lie. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's one of the coolest parts, is, like, it does have the entire game's history, and, you like, you're able to try out, like, multiple things. You know? You can play in different formats, you can experiment. It's just cool. 
it lets a lot of people be able to do things that otherwise they would like never be able to actually do for the most part. Yeah, because we tout all the time about how playing in paper is like the best way to play the Pokemon TCG, and it is. But it's also extremely important to have an online client to be able to play online, you know? Like, that, that stuff mm-hmm. really matters, makes a difference. I mean, I, I think I tweeted about it before, but like my testing took like a big hit after PTCGO shut down because I was like... PTCGO is just a big part of my of how I tested decks for events. Like the, hopping on the ladder was seamless. The game functioned, and it was you know it was fine. It was good for testing. But you get on live, and you know I get like two games in, one of which crashed, and then the other one <laughs> like was just so slow, and it just oh my god. Anyway, I'm not gonna turn this into a live bashing session because I could do that very easily. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for this. They say. That uh, they'll have, uh, you know, stuff to announce soon. Uh, of course, that was when they made the tweet in July 2nd. So, I don't know what soon means. Hopefully not too far away. But, uh, you know, keep an eye, like I said, keep an eye on their Twitter. I'm following them. And anytime they tweet, it will notify my phone straight up. So, uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. So, go ahead. Give them a follow on Twitter. I'll leave that link in the episode description. Now, moving on to one of our last news stories, uh, we have some translations. Now, I know we're talking about the Obsidian Flames translations at the top of the show in our main segment, but there are a few more cards that we need to talk about. Uh, if you're not familiar, Japan does get these, uh, I believe they're called Gym Challenge promos. Uh, essentially, think of it like our League promo packs that we get for things like League Challenges and stuff like that. This is Japan's version of that. The only difference is, is that theirs, well, they, they rotate their gym challenge promo packs quite frequently, and theirs comes with exclusive cards, right? So there are cards mm-hmm. in their promo packs that are exclusive to the promo packs. Thankfully, that's something we don't have to worry about here. But uh, normally we don't talk about these. Most of the time they're just like commons, uncommons, maybe a bulk V here and there. Uh, but there are two cards in uh, the gym promo packs that will be handed out in Japan starting July 28th that could actually be kind of strong. So I wanted to take a moment to talk about them. That being the Scovillain EX and the Moonlight Hill. So we'll start with the Scovillain EX. Stage 1, Grass-type Pokemon with 260 HP. Uh, for one colorless energy, you got Spicy Bind. Your opponent's active Pokemon is now burned, and the defending Pokemon cannot retreat during your opponent's next turn. And for two Grass Energy, you have two-faced Crash. You deal 140 damage, and you discard a random card from your opponent's hand, and you discard the top card of your opponent's deck. Uh, kind of a really cool card, right? It's kind of interesting to see like this double-sided like halfway mill strategy of being like, okay, I'm going to take a card out of your hand, I'm going to take a card off your deck... Right, so you could like Ayano your opponent to a low hand size, like four, three, two, two face crash, rip that card out of their hand, and get rid of the top deck in the same in the same way. It's a pretty interesting card. Yeah, it really is. I have to agree, and uh, honestly, I think it's second attack. I mean, two grass energy for one forty isn't awful, and just getting to rip a card out of your opponent's hand is actually kind of crazy to me. Just like what you said, setting that up purposely, like, 
<laughs> just being able to take away your opponent's options in Pokemon is always, like, insane to me. Just because it's usually not the easiest to do. Pokemon's pretty strict about that. And it hurts a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're strict on it for a reason. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like you said, like, the two grass energy, that's, like, not... That's... Uh, that's pretty low effort, right? Like, it's not hard to power up at all. You could just attach, evolve, attach. Yeah, you but have you, a frontliner building. Yeah, but you could also go with, like, a fortress approach. So, like, you, you know, pop the fortress, get a bunch of energy out of your deck, power up multiple Scoville at a time, go mm -hmm. down two prize cards to make the Iano that much more powerful in the early game. Could have a fun little deck on our hands here. You're not wrong. It is <laughs> it's a grass type, so it will hit Dark Charizard for weakness. <laughs> not that i'm sure that matters because i'm sure that deck will be playing fire types to hit you for weakness but yeah you, you know whatever, whatever. you know and honestly even spicy bind is not like that bad for a uh early game attack you know or yeah. if it's just what you have it's not the worst thing in the world yeah we really like <laughs> it's kind of funny we're in a format where we really can't like sleep on anything that says the defending pokemon can't retreat because that has been a pretty viable strategy ever since rotation and it's like it's kind of one of those things that's coming and going in waves right like oh people are playing the mawile or you know whatever to prevent you from retreating and of course you know umbreon's mean look attack which is very popular in the format right now you know so oh that stuff is popular right now okay everybody's tucking in pennies and thorntons and switch cards to try to get out of it and then the tech cards go down and then those come out and then you know, it's kind of an up and down. So Scoville might just be another way to do that. You know, if your deck maybe revolves around Grass-type Pokemon and wants to have that option, you have that option. Definitely. A little bit of burn damage never hurts <laughs> either. Oh, for sure. Now, Josh, we have Moonlight Hill, and I have a feeling that you will really enjoy this card. So why don't you read this one out for me? I, I was going to open this up by saying uh, thank you for saving Moonlight Hill for me. <laughs> So, I mean, this card's... Uh, I think you'll understand why here. Let me just go ahead and read it. <laughs> so we got Moonlight Heal. It's a hill. It's a stadium card. So once during each player's turn, that player may discard a basic psychic energy from their hand. If they do, they may heal 30 damage from each of their Pokemon. So I... I think I, you should know why that I'm excited who, about this if you listen to this podcast. Who designed this card? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny... Because uh, I just remember back in the day, you know, Fusion Strike Mew, or even for a while afterwards, they keep printing counters to that deck. <laughs> They're just over here with Gardevoir. Every every new format, every new card release, are just like, here's a card that's kind of crazy for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, you know what deck really needs to be better? Gardevoir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, what's also crazy about Moonlight Hill is that, like, it heals all of your Pokemon, not just yeah. one, not just Psychic Pokemon, like, all of them. So, like, you don't have to play Guardy for this to be, like, a decent card, right? Like, you could play, like, an Arceus deck centered around, like, a Psychic Attacker, whatever that might be. Probably, like, Arceus Gallade type deal, where just you could just discard a Psychic Energy and just heal 30 off of your board, try to make that Arceus a little bit more survivable, you know? 
And of course, you know, like you said, th this card is just broken in Guardi. Absolutely yeah. broken. I get to heal 30 damage from all my Pokemon by discarding an energy, which I just don't care about doing in the first place. It's free! Yeah, you're, you're throwing the energy in the bin so you can accelerate them later. You're healing 30 damage from all of your Pokemon, which you end up doing by accelerating that energy, right? So you can accelerate the energy. And this is the craziest part about it, right? Is because, like, part of what makes Gardevoir so scary in the current format is the fact that the Chilling Rain Gardevoir with 6 energy and a reversal energy can one-shot... Not anything, technically, but basically anything in the format. It hits 330, right? But that requires you to be behind on prizes and attach the reversal energy from your hand, which, you know, when you're only playing the one is a little situational sometimes. But now, you can just load up six energy on the Guard of War using Psychic Embrace. You can discard an energy from your hand to use Moonlight, he uh, Moonlight Hill to heal 30 damage off of the Guard of War and anything else that's damaged. And then accelerate that energy that you just discarded with Psychic Embrace up to the Gardevoir. And, you, like, it just... You can hit 330 without reversal energy now. <laughs> that's crazy. And, of course, that's, like, factoring in, like, attach... You know, attaching from your hand and stuff like that. So it's a little bit of a setup. But, like, still, that's wild. It is. It's definitely crazy. And is honestly the primary reason that we stopped to talk about these few translations. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Oh. Be that as it may, these uh, gym packs, I believe, will start being handed out in Japan on July 28th. Um, so these are, there's like a very, 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 very high probability that these are not in a, on our Obsidian Flame set. I would be extremely surprised if they were. Uh, we probably won't be getting these until our set in November at the earliest. Um, but keep in mind, these are gym promos. We don't always get these cards, right? There's a few times where gym promos slip through the cracks. I think most recently there was a stadium called Peaceful Park, and there was a Quagsire V that came out in these promo packs that we just never got. Um, so it is entirely possible that we never get these cards, though I find that extremely unlikely. Yeah, I do too. So, some interesting new cards there. Um, if you don't have Gardevoir, just go buy them. Let's just go buy them now. <laughs> you, you'll mine as well, just in case. Because that card is going to be really good. Anyway, we do have one tournament to talk about. And it's caught, this kind of blindsided me a little bit. I didn't think we'd have a tournament to talk about this week. But I saw some results floating around on Twitter of the Asia Open 2023 summer that took place in Malaysia. Uh, same format as ours, Battle Styles 2, Paldea Evolved. 322 players. Uh, we do know the archetypes for the top 16. We don't have all the deck lists. In fact, as far as deck lists go, we only have the top four. Um, I'm sure a few of the others are floating around on Twitter. In fact, I know a few of the others are floating around on Twitter, so... If you're interested, check out Pokestats.com. They'll have links to all that. I'll leave a link in the episode description, as well as a link to the Limitless page. Um, so let me just go ahead and break down the top eight here real quick, and then we'll kind of discuss some of the archetypes and the four deck lists that we do have. So eighth place, you got Chen Jin Chung playing uh, Miraidon Flaffy. Seventh place, Wong Karlok with Lugia Archeops. Sixth place, Jason Pan 
with Lost Zone Box. Fifth place, Jacob Tan Tequian playing Lost Box Charizard. Uh, fourth place, Tan Yong Xing playing uh, Giratina Lost Zone Box. Third place, Wang Chun Sing playing Gujar Lost Zone Box, which is a bit surprising to me. Second place, Izmir Armani with Lugia Archaeops. And taking it all home yet again, Yung Kai Jin playing Fusion Mew. It feels like the only deck that wins Asian events is Fusion Mew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mew, it seems, has like just never fallen off over there at all. Yeah, it's, it's on a tear and nobody can stop it, apparently. Which is wild to think about, given all the different counters <laughs> out there. So anyway, before we break down some of those top four deck lists, I, I just have I just have to point it out real quick. Josh, there's a Reggie box and and top sixteen. So I noticed that I, I was I was waiting to bring that up, so I'm glad you did, because I mean I just haven't seen that deck in months. Yeah, I think like some people were thinking like, oh, maybe it could come back and Paldea Evolved because of like luminous energy and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe. And then it just kind of like, I don't know, Paldea Evolved came out. Some people tried it and it still just wasn't there and it kind of fell off. I think it seems some middling success in online tournaments, but nothing like crazy. And of course, it didn't really show up at the NAIC at all, which is in and of itself a pretty big deal. Uh, but then here it is, just top 16 at a 300 player tournament, cas all casual, like no big deal. At first... Uh -oh. I saw this and I genuinely thought it was Regigigas V Star. Because <laughs> I was like, that makes more sense. Like, you can still play Regigigas V Star the way we were playing it before rotation. It's a little different, but you can still play it that way and it makes a little bit more sense. It's kind of okay. And I was scrolling around on Twitter. It's like, no, it's Regibox. I was like, how? How? <laughs> I don't get it. I wish, I really wish we could see the list because, like, I don't know. I just don't see it. Yeah, that's... Uh, unfortunately, that's one of the few lists that are not on Limitless and also not on Twitter. Uh, nobody's been able to find it yet. Though, I, I do know that there are people that are trying to find this person and get the list. <laughs> <laughs> the Reggie players are are, are coming out, bro. They're fiending. <laughs> Absolutely feral. So I would love to see that list, too, personally. I think that'd oh, be super definitely. sick. Um... But I mean, you know, I listen. I gotta, I gotta give them props. I, I gotta give them props. Top sixteen with Reggie Box in twenty twenty three. My hats off to you. <laughs> Definitely. Now, as for the uh, few deck lists that we do have, uh, nothing too out of the ordinary. Uh, I think as far as Fusion Mew, Lugia, Gudra, and Giratina goes, it's about as standard as it gets. Um, well, actually, that's not true. Uh, Tan Yong uh, Sheng playing the Lost Zone Giratina list is actually going for the uh, Four of Cross Switcher build, uh, which is pretty interesting. That's not super common. Um, we did see a, uh, a deck pretty similar to this. Might actually even be a straight up... Uh, might just straight up be the same 60, but uh, Henry Brand... 2019 world champion uh, played something similar to this at the NAIC. He got top 64 with it, and honestly, like people are people have finally finally caught on that Giratina is like just absurd in this metagame. Like it's got such a strong matchup spread, 
And it feels like it doesn't really lose to much of anything, to be honest. Um, so it's nice to see that Giratina get some results, uh, you know, leading up to the World Championships. Uh, because I feel like I feel like it's in a really good spot in the metagame right now, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I'd have to agree with you. Of course, we've always kind of been in that camp, to be fair. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been preaching the the end of the world, that being uh, Giratina V Stars' eventual dominance, whenever <laughs> yeah. it may happen. It looks like it's coming <laughs> on us. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, personally, as like someone that plays Giratina a fair amount, uh, I really like the Cross Witcher build. I'm gonna be honest. I actually play that a fair amount. Yeah, it's an interesting inclusion. Like, it's a little awkward to make them work with the Lost Zone engine, because, like, there's a chance that you're just going to have to, like, Lost Zone 1, and then that means there's one in your deck that's dead, which makes it for a great Lost Zone target, obviously, but, like, sometimes it doesn't always line up that way. Um, but the advantages, I think, far outweigh the cons, right? Because oftentimes in those early turns, you're trying to get, like, the Colrus's experiments to boost up your Lost Zone so that you can get, like, the Mirage Gates and stuff like that. And, you know, usually by the time you get to seven, you've probably already played a Colorus that turn. So you play the Mirage Gate and you can't gust because you already played a Colorus. Well, now you could drop the Colorus, get to seven, accelerate with the Mirage Gate, and play Cross Switcher so that you have a gusting option all in the same turn. I think it's mm -hmm. a really big deal. Like, that's a huge swing in momentum to be like, okay, I got the seven and the same turn, I lost impacted the thing I wanted to hit or set. Like... And of course, like with, with all the switching you're doing and the four of jet energy, like you're never like positioning for the cross switcher is quite easy. Like, cause you have mm -hmm. the options. You can either cross, cross switcher, you know, out of your Giratina to gust something you need and then attach the jet energy to put the Giratina back active. Or you can, you know, do flower selectings with Comfey and then use the cross switchers to move it. You know, I, I mean, there, there is a surprising amount of flexibility there. It's, Definitely. I, I really think it's just as good. You would, I think if you were going to try to play a variant like this, you definitely need to put in a fair bit amount of like practice to get used to playing the deck and just getting used to scenarios and learning your options. You know, It becomes very important with the deck because, exactly like you said, uh, you accidentally lost zone too many of your cross switchers and you've kind of put yourself in a hole. But I don't think it's that bad to work around, and it has a lot of advantages like you just listed. So... I would not write it off. Yeah, pretty strong, all things considered. Uh, but we are Giratina fans over here, so... <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, you know, as far as Mew, Lugia goes, pretty standard stuff. Uh, we are looking at a single-strike Lugia, which I don't think is surprising to anybody. Uh, the colorless version, well, fairly consistent and strong in its own way, has uh, kind of just flopped... Uh, over here stateside and uh, has started to see uh, a decrease in play uh, over in the uh, Asian circuit, so not too surprising there. And once again, just shout out to the lone Gudra player. I mean, Gudra in this economy, what a brave soul. This is not really, like, if you ask me personally, like, I just don't think Gudra is, like, just really in a good spot right now. Like, there's a lot of Duraladon everywhere. <laughs> Gardevoir has a better matchup into you now. You know, Spirit Tomb yeah. helps against Mew, but, like, also kind of not really. And then now we have Giratina coming back. It's just like, man, you really want to play Gudra in this? But 
I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I would love to see his matchup spread. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I would be interested myself. Uh, it's possible. Uh, yeah, it is. No, actually. Never. I was about to say it might be possible that he played against the Giratina in top eight. But looking at the results, I think that would be impossible. Because um, they both made top four, right? So, uh Either way, I, I I have to imagine he hit a few Giratinas uh, and probably some Mew, I guess, since it keeps winning over there in Asia, <laughs> which are not good matchups for Gudra. But, I mean, hey, like I said, you get third place at a 322-player tournament. Props. Impressive. You're, you're killing it. That's crazy. <laughs> it probably was a good meta call, or maybe you're just that goaded. And you know what? If you're that goaded, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But I love seeing the Gudra. It's like one of my favorite V-Stars that I just like never get to play because it just never really feels that well positioned a lot of times. Uh, but I love seeing it get some success, so I'm, I'm here for it. But I think that's going to wrap it up for our news segment this go-around. Again, not too much, but uh, an interesting little bit of new, few news stories to talk about regardless. Let us know what you think of the stories we covered here today. Hit us up on Twitter at DamageCounter, DamageCounterPodcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. Or you can keep the conversation going with us on our community Discord. We're always happy to be in there keeping the conversation going with you all. So let, you, let us know what you think of today's news topics. Hit us up. But in the meantime, it's time we get to the 60-card showcase. Now, we've talked a little bit about Lugia V-Star before. You know, I believe we did a 60-card showcase on it Uh at some point in the Silver Tempest metagame. Uh, but it has changed drastically. And we have been asked to talk about it again. Much to my chagrin. But it is what it is. The people demand it, so we're here to deliver it. Let's talk about Lugia V-Star. Alright, it's time to talk about Lugia V-Star once again. Uh, not a revisit I was anticipating, but such is the nature of the uh, of the viewer requests. Again, let me just put it out there. there there's been some alternate formats we've been requested to, to cover. We're just not ready to cover them yet. It's a little difficult to do the alternate formats sometimes because we got to gather the cards, and especially with TCG player shipping times. I don't know. Just real quick, have you had like extremely long shipping times from TCG player recently because I ordered cards like a month ago and yes. I'm still waiting. Yes, very long. Yeah, I don't times. I, I don't know if that's a summer thing or maybe it has something to do with the TCG player union strike. I'm not really sure what's going on there, but either way, we got to cover a little bit more standard before we get to those, but uh, you know, let it be known, we are still working on it, I promise you. But in the meantime, we were requested to revisit Lugia V-Star by a good friend of mine, Eric Thielman. Uh, longtime supporter of the show, good friend of mine. Uh, and I feel like, I, in fact, I know for a fact he suggested we revisit this deck because he knows I hate it. <laughs> I know for a fact that's why he did it, but hey. I don't, I, I'm not going to back down from it. So we have Lugia V-Star today. And, uh, you know, like I said, we talked about it a little bit in the Silver Tempest metagame. And it was very different back then. It had a bunch of amazing rares, a Radiant Charizard, a bunch of different colors of energy, uh, and just a bunch of crazy stuff going on in that list. 
just because of the sheer card pool it had available to it in the Sword and Shield metagame. Jump forward a little bit, we have rotation. A lot of that stuff is gone now, and Lugia has adopted a single strike build, focusing on single strike attackers and accelerating single strike energy. So let's get into it. But of course, before we do, as always, there's a link to a Google Drive in the episode description. Be sure to click on that link, and you'll see images of every single deck list we've covered here on the show, including the one we're talking about here today. So if you want to follow along, see all the 60 cards for yourself, because we're probably not going to cover all of them. You have that option to follow along with us. So, Lugia V-Star, we're still doing the same thing. Gotta get those Archeops. So you can use Lugia's Summoning Star V-Star power to get those Archeops back onto your bench from the discard pile. And from there, it's just about using Archeops Primal Turbo ability, which allows you to search your deck for two special energy cards and attach them to one of your Pokemon. And uh, that's not a once-per-turn thing. The Archeops stack, you can use multiple Archeops a turn. That is just... Let me just say right there, that is the, one of the most broken abilities I've ever seen in my life. Oh, definitely. Archeops. Honestly, Archeops is more insane than Lugia to me. Always has been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lugia is just insane by proxy. <laughs> yeah, it's insane because of Archeops. 100%. Yeah, because Lugia on its own, you know, four colorless energy, Tempest Dive, 220 damage, you can discard a stadium and play. You know, that's fine, it's solid, 220 damage is really good, but it's just kind of alright at the end of the day. But when, but when you look at it as your gateway to getting one of the most broken abilities the game has ever printed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lugia V-Star is a pretty good card. Definitely. Uh, but of course, it's not our only attacker. Again, this is a single strike based list. So we have uh, a lot of single strike attackers to help us get those higher numbers that Lugia V-Star itself can't reach. Most notably, Tyranitar. Tyranitar's kind of been like the big main attacker of this archetype. Uh, and it's surprisingly flexible. Tyranitar V is a basic darkness type Pokemon with 230 HP, which that right there is... is more relevant than you might think. That 230 HP is annoying to try to deal with. <laughs> Especially when it's got a V-Guard energy attached. Good lord. But for 230 HP, and you've also got two attacks, Cragalanch for a dark and two colorless, 60 damage. You discard the top two cards of your opponent's deck. Again, that damage can be augmented by the various single strike energy that we play in the deck. So 60 becomes 80, 100, 120, 140. 140 and mill 2, kind of crazy. And you also have single strike crush, 2 darkness energy, 2 colorless energy, 240 damage, and discard the top 4 cards of your deck. Sounds costly, and you know, sometimes it is. Sometimes you do be milling the things you need. But what I found in playing this deck is that by the time you're getting to the single strike crush, you probably don't care what's getting discarded at that point. You have your Archeops mm -hmm. in play. You've used the Lugia's V-Star power. You've probably accelerated your energy because you can get four out of your deck every turn. You've probably used all your setup supporters, right? Like, at this point, like, like once you get to that point, you probably don't care what gets milled, right? Definitely. And 240, even just base damage, like, without single strike energy, putting that up to, like, you know, 260, 280 possibly 320 
I mean, goodness, dude. Just be able to go from zero energy to, yeah, here's 320. Yeah, honestly, like, worst case scenario is you mill a boss by that point. Yeah. Because that's the most relevant thing you can need for the late game for the most part. Yeah, it, it really... It really just does come down to, like, the supporters at that point. But, like, the damage is just always worth it. Especially if you're taking, like, multiple prize cards. It's just like, oh my god, dude. It's crazy. Oh, definitely. I mean, Lugia, for the most part, does good damage. Especially this single strike list. Like, all of these Pokemon have uh, solid damage numbers that they hit for the most part. Yeah, and it's really cool that you can kind of kind of take like a box approach to it, right? Like Tyranitar is kind of your general catch-all attacker, solid damage, and the milling, especially against like one price decks, especially against Lost Zone box, is actually pretty effective. Um, but then you have like you know Stonejourner and Eveltal as one prize attacking options that can hit for fighting and darkness weakness, uh, being good against Arceus and Mew V Max, just specifically. Like, having one prize options into those decks is just phenomenal. And, of course, and, and the big reason why the single strike variant is, you know, the one that's seeing more play than, like, the colorless build and stuff like that is the fact that you have wall-breaking options with things like Duraludon VMAX or single strike Urshifu VMAX. That way you can get through opposing Duraludon, which uh, could solo your entire deck if you don't have an answer for it. And, uh... Just overall being, like, the big damage dealer if you absolutely need it. The nuclear bomb, if you will. <laughs> uh, most lists play Single Strike Urshifu VMAX, and my list is no different. I think it's the best for that role. Duraludon works here. Uh, Duraludon's definitely not bad in this spot, as it does... Uh, assuming that other Lugia players aren't teching for the mirror, which... Or, uh, rather, aren't teching for Duraludon, which all of them should be. You know, if you play Duraludon and they're not teching for it, like, then you just auto-win the mirror, which is hilarious. But most of the time they're teching for it, so it's better to just have the Urshifu, uh, which deals more damage and uh, can one-shot a Duraludon VMAX. And I gotta be honest, I used uh, Single Strike Urshifu VMAX's GMAX one-blow attack at the league challenge I went to to knock uh -huh. out Copperaja EX in one hit. <laughs> and I haven't felt the rush of G-Max one blow in a very a long while. time. Uh -huh. And I was good, just like, dude. I was just like, oh, I forgot how good using that attack felt. <laughs> it's just, boom! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest, the fact that this has, like, Lugia can run the single strike package so well is almost enough to make me want to play Lugia, just so I can bust out my Urshifu VMAXs again. Honestly, man? Okay, listen, listen, listen. I, I, I am a certified Lugia hater. I've made that very uh -huh. known. I do not like this deck, and I gotta be honest, like, even playing it's kind of like, whatever, but I gotta be honest, man, like, you know, I, I got a few practice games in on the live, and I was like, yep, this is going as horribly as I expected it to go. I'm not having any fun. And then I showed up to the League Challenge and played it, and I was just like, Wait, 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 hang on, I'm having fun, that's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it definitely does look fun. Uh, I mean, Lugia is always a pile, I know we've said that before, like, it's just how kind of how the deck works, but, I mean, it kind of is crazy when you think about it, 
just how good it actually does fit in with a single strike package. Because, you know, Rapid Strike, Lugia basically does for single strike what Rapid Strike gets to do, like, naturally, you know? Mm -hmm. A few more restrictions here and there, but... That means that you get to use the power that's offered by, like, offered by single strike to just slam into people, and to be able to reset it with your urns of vitality, which I think is pretty cool too in a Lugia deck. Just being able to recycle special energy is insanely strong. Yeah, and that's and that's another reason why the single strike variant is more favored over the colorless build is that. You know, the colorless build goes back to, like, the Lugia Vault, where it's like, once that energy's gone, it's gone. You're not getting it back. But with Urn of Vitality, you can at least recycle your single strike energy, which is something that Lugia's never had before. And granted, it only works on the four single strike energy, but, you know, the deck is built in such a way that you can kind of get around that stuff. Um, so just having that recycle is really good. So if you lose a Tyranitar... You know, it gets discarded, all the energy goes bye-bye. You go, okay, earn a Vitality, put it back in the deck, and immediately get it back out of the deck with Archeops. Uh, kind of nuts. Kind of nuts. Definitely. And uh, I don't think we need to cover any of these supporters too deeply, but I will say I really like the Thornton in this. Yeah, the Thornton is sick. Not very many Lugias are playing it. I have seen it here and there. Um, but it is my personal favorite way to, like... Because essentially, right, like, the, the reason for teching, like, Thornton or Penny is primarily to get around, like, the retreat locking strategies that we've seen from, like, the Mawiles and, like, Rapid Strike Carnivines and Mean Look Umbreon, stuff like that. Uh, you know, because they could just gust Aluminium and just keep it from retreating. And, you know, previously you didn't really have any switch-out options to, to get around that kind of stuff. Uh, Thornton helps with that, right? Penny's an option, too. Penny is... I think the more popular option, but I like Thornton as a way that, cause like, yes, you can get your Luminion out of play, turn it into a Tyranitar, turn it into a, you know, Stone or Eveltal, turn it into something that can attack, right? That way you don't have to worry about switching. You just, you know, Thornton, it's there in the active, you accelerate to it and you attack and you're good. But also it kind of gives you a second chance at using Urshifu V in the Duraludon matchup, which is super strong, right? Because typically what, you know, what the Arctura players will do, right, is that you bench the Urshifu because you kind of, you, you know, you need to get it into play so that it can evolve. And what they'll do is that they'll, you know, they'll try to gust, knock it out. And then once they do that, they feel pretty safe. But then, you know, you turn that Luminion on your bench into an Urshifu and it's been sitting there for a few turns, so you can evolve it. You immediately evolve it, get all those energies onto it, break through the Duraludon, and you're back in the game. So I, I think Thornton is really cool for that reason. Definitely, I have to agree. It's a... I don't know if I, the best way I'd say to describe it, I think Penny is the better catch-all option, and for Thornton's sure, if yeah. you want to get a little more advanced. It, it requires a little more critical thinking. Yeah, and also, like, your opponent can play around the Thornton, right? Like, if they know you're playing it, then, like, they could start targeting your basics and basically force you to find another one. Yeah, yeah. I would say Thornton, like, definitely, if you bust out Thornton game one, uh, expect them to be thinking about a counter if, mm -hmm. in your next game, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, only other supporter I want to talk about is the Professor Burnett. This is not too uncommon for Lugulus to play at least one of. Uh, Professor Burnett just says search your deck for two cards and discard them. Great way to get Archeops in the discard, turn one going second. If you have access to Luminion, you can just drop the Luminion, 
grab the Professor Burnett and your Archaeops are down just right from the get-go. Um, those are really the turns that I love the most, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's nice to be able to get rid of Archaeops through, like, Read the Wind or for Professor's Research or Ultra Ball or whatever. Like, that's all well and good, but, like, you know, it's not always a guarantee to happen and it's not always, like, you're getting rid of two at the same time. It's, like, one and hoping you find the other one later. Now, on when... In the early game, if you're lucky enough to have a position where you can just drop the Professor Burnett and immediately dump two of them, it's honestly like taking the weight of the world off your shoulders for at least that turn. You're like, okay, I got that part. I just need the V-Star, and then we're good. We're cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I love Burnett in this deck list. I think it actually re works really well. Oh, definitely. I now, we do have a lot of Pokemon search here, and I'm not going to lie... Going to be completely honest here. I'm a little nonconformist here. I don't like capturing a <laughs> So most Lugia well, lists will play a four capture, capturing aroma, right? So if you're looking at the deck list in the Google Drive and you see the four great ball and you're scratching your head, listen, if you want to put the capturing aroma there in place of the great ball, go right ahead. It works. It's good. The list I played at the challenge actually was playing capturing aroma instead of great ball in that spot. And really and truly, like, the, the statistical differences, I think, are mostly negligible. Uh, I think Capturing Aroma has the added benefit of always getting a card out of the deck, whereas Great Ball, you might not have a Pokemon in the top seven, so you might not always thin. Both cards have the possibility of you not getting the cards you want. That's just, it's just how it is. But... Like I said, I think the differences are negligible enough that you can play one or the other, and it's going to be fine. Um, after the League Challenge, basically the week leading up to this episode, I had been trying out Great Ball just because I remember people having that conversation. It was really funny because people got really passionate about it. And I got to be honest, I think I prefer the Great Ball, to be honest. Because like you play a draw supporter, you grab a couple of those, and you're just like, top seven, okay, I can just grab this. Top seven, okay, I can grab this. Okay, what strategy can I put together now? Instead of just being like, man, I hope this coin flip goes my way. You know? <laughs> I, honestly, I agree with you. I like the Great Vols more. Because I'm going to be honest, I hate coin flips. I kind of detest them. It's why I didn't really want to play Mew that much, because I got tired of Cramomatic uh, just not, not coming in when I needed it to. <laughs> so i mean great ball like you said they both have the potential to miss and great ball is not a bad card at all and lugia has like really good natural thinning anyway just in itself i mean it does a great job at thinning its deck so i mean if you're thinning everything else out i don't think it's that left field to be able to get what you need off a of great ball yeah, I agree. I, I mean, you're playing a lot of Pokemon in here anyway, right? You got the four Lugia, three Lugia V-Star, two Luminion, two Tyranitar, a Radiant Serena, you know, one one Urshi, Stone Turner, Veltal, and four Archaeops. That's a lot of Pokemon. If you're looking at the top seven of your deck at any point throughout the game, chances are there's going to be a Pokemon there. Now, is it going to be the one you want? Hard to say, right? We're playing higher counts of the ones you want to find off of Great Ball. That way we could try to up those odds, right? That being like the Lugias, the Luminian, and the Archaeops. Um, you know, neither option is perfect. And I think it really, again, I think the differences are negligible enough that you can come down to preference. But if you technically want the optimal 
card. Technically, it's capturing aroma because it always thins a card. But again, I think the differences are negligible enough that like it, it can be considered a player preference thing. Because I, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, flipping what you don't want on a capturing aroma, like oh, I really need this Archeops, and then you flip to find a basic, like. Sure, I get to thin a card, but now I'm mad because I didn't get the card I wanted because of a coin flip. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. like, it's just like a mental thing for me. And I'm just like, okay, you know what? Whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I really don't think it's that big of a deal anyway. Because you're obviously going to be le leading into your Ultra Balls or Nest Balls in the first place. Depending on what you need to get. That's, you know, that's always what you're going to want to use first. So if you even if you had to discard like say a great ball to use your ultra ball like that really doesn't even feel that bad. Yeah, absolutely. But so so just keep that in mind, right? Like I'm playing the four great ball on my list. I like it a lot personally. Uh, but if you're not a fan of the great ball, you could just swap those out for capturing aroma, and everything's going to be a okay. So no big deal there. Um, other than that, I think the big deal, or like a kind of a big thing about Lugia here is like the stadiums. It's something I've always found interesting with Lugia list is that it's really the only deck that's like comfortable to play Mesagoza, mm -hmm. which is really funny to me. Mesagoza says flip a coin if head, search your deck for any Pokemon and add it to hand. If tails, you know, the stadium does nothing. Uh, and it's kind of interesting, right? Like we have Pokeball in the format. That's basically what Pokeball does, but just as a stadium that you can use turn after turn after turn. Of course, it's a path bump as well, which is always nice. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just really interesting because it's one of those stadiums where it's just like, I don't know if I'd ever want to play that otherwise because it's like mm -hmm. I can flip tails and my opponent can flip heads and that will happen. Trust me, that will happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, with Lugia, like, you just need, like, such aggressive Pokemon search that, like, this is viable in this list. And it's so funny to me. I love it. <laughs> Definitely. Outside of that, you've got your suite of special energy. I'm rocking four single strike, three double turbo, two gift, two jet, and two V-Guard energy. Uh, you could up the counts of any of those like single colorless energies if you want like you can bump the gift jet or v guard up to like three depending on you know what you want to prioritize um if i had to pick one it would probably be the gift energy as that is a great way for your deck to draw cards in the late game uh gift energy reads if the pokemon this card is attached to is knocked out by damage from your opponent's attack you may draw until you have seven cards and that's before you like promote your next pokemon and before you draw for your turn so uh, a lot of really good uh, card draw there, especially like coming off of an Iano, right? So you can like accelerate this to your attacker and be like, hey, if you knock me out, I'm going to draw back up to seven cards. And there's not anything you're really going to be able to do about it. So uh, really cool stuff there. But everything else, uh, pretty self-explanatory. You got the single strikes to boost damage, double turbo to make Lugia a bit more cost efficient. Jet energy as extra ways to move without retreating, which is actually really big for this deck, actually. And uh, V-Guard energy to make your Tyranitars even tankier. And that's Lugia. I mean, like I said, it's a bit of a pile, right? There's not really a lot going on. You know, you're searching for supporters, and you're hoping you draw into things, and that's only going to get you so far. But Lugia's sheer power... Even if you have an awkward start, just by the sheer power of things like Tyranitar V, and even just the Lugia V-Star, 
is going to be enough to coast you for a lot of games, right? Like, you have that awkward start, but once you're going, you're going. And you're not stopping. <laughs> Definitely. Because you just build up these, like, big threats, right? Because, like, I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, we'll just, you know, gust the Archeops. Yeah, are you going to do that when there's a Tyranitar V with four single strike energy on it? I wouldn't. I want to hit the Tyranitar, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's always part of, like, the appeal slash fear of Lugia Archeop, you know, is if they get set up and going, it's so hard to catch up to them because they're just, before you know it, they're going to have, like, three different Pokemon set up on their bench. <laughs> they're just going to be taking KOs left and right. Yeah, it's one of those things that they just, like, get their attackers set up so quickly that, like, you can't, you can't afford to target the engine. <laughs> So, overall, a really powerful deck. Um, not one for the faint of heart, I'll be honest. I don't think the deck is necessarily super difficult to play. Uh, but I say it's not for the faint of heart because you are going to have some games where you just open Tyranitar, Nest Ball, and a bunch of energies. And you're just going to be like, oh, what on earth do I do with this? <laughs> you just kind of have to figure it out. But it, it will... I'll say this, Lugia, especially the single strike variant, will very much reward a player that dedicates to it. We saw that with Reagan Retzeloff uh, in the previous format, Scarlet and Violet. He played Lugia to every single regional event in that format and topped almost every single one of them and eventually ended with a win at Fresno, I believe it was. He won the Fresno regionals with the Lugia V-Star list that he built, he perfected, and... Again, it's just one of those decks where it's just like, the more you play it, Lugia is going to reward you for that time put into the deck. More so than other decks, I think. Which, admittedly, is pretty cool. Definitely. I mean, I just... I think you could say, kind of wrapping it up here, is just, I mean, it's Lugia. You still have to respect this deck. It's a good deck. If you're interested in playing Lugia, uh, I mean, the single strike patch package is really good, but even the, even the other packages aren't bad per se you know it's at this point it's not the monster it was in silver tempest but if someone takes the time in to learn whatever variant they're playing they they are still a threat to be reckoned with you know yeah absolutely that's just the power of lugia yep but that's gonna wrap it up for our 60 card showcase this go around let us know what you think of lugia v star the single strike variant let us know what you think Hit us up on Twitter at DamageCounter, DamageCounterPodcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. Or you can let us know what you think about our community Discord, or about the deck in our community Discord. <laughs> Links to that are in the episode description. Do you play Lugia at Regionals? Is this one of your favorite decks? Hit us up. Let us know. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Definitely. And as always, uh, if you have a deck you would like for us to go over here on the podcast, feel free to send it our way in any of the ways Phelan just mentioned. Uh, we'd love to talk about it. Uh, like I say, for our card of the day, the only stipulation is it has to be an official Pokemon deck. But besides that, we don't care about the format or anything like that. We just want to talk about your favorite Pokemon deck. Absolutely. So send them our way. And while you're doing that, it's time for us to move on to our main segment Ruler of the Black Flame has just been officially revealed in Japan. It's not released yet. That uh, that comes next week. Or actually, no, by the time you're listening to this, it'll actually be out in Japan tomorrow. So check out Pokeko Book for those deck lists coming up real soon. But anyway, we're here to talk about the new cards and give y'all our thoughts 
on the cards coming from Ruler of the Black Flame, which all will be included in our upcoming Obsidian Flame set. So let's get into those translations. Alright, the time has finally come. It feels like we've kind of known about Ruler of the Black Flame for quite a while now. Uh, the news cycle for this one was really weird. Like, we knew, like, the set was trademarked and we knew it was going to feature a Dark Charizard EX. Uh, I don't remember when we learned of that, but it was quite a while ago. And then we went just an extremely long time until TPCI was the was actually the first one to reveal cards for the set, which was super weird. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely, Japan has been revealing some cards uh, up until now, where we now have the full set. So, uh, this was at the time of uh, upload. Uh, these will have been revealed last week and uh, should actually release in Japan tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day the episode goes live. Uh should release in Japan tomorrow, so we should be seeing some tournament results and uh, some Japanese players playing with these cards, at least the ones that aren't going to Worlds, of course, because the day this comes out in Japan... Or no, the day this comes out in the United States is Worlds. Anyway, we should see some results from Japan here pretty soon, but we are here to talk about some of these translations in our main segment, give you our thoughts on them. Um... Truth be told, we actually don't have many cards to talk about. Um, I'm sure, if, especially if y'all are active on PTCG Twitter, you've probably gathered that this set is not exactly as jam-packed as Peldea Evolved is. This is a little bit of a filler set, but we have a few things to talk about here. Uh, so we're going to start with the trainer cards. Um, some of these we have covered in the past, but uh, trainer cards are often the most influential when it comes to a new set, so... Uh, we like to just kind of run those over again. So we'll start things off with a letter of encouragement. You can play this card only if any of your Pokemon were knocked out during your opponent's last turn. Search your deck for up to three basic energy cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your deck. Um, so the stipulation of having to be knocked out first is a little awkward. Not the end of the world, necessarily. Because that's how we use things like Raihan, of course. Um... Mm -hmm. Is a little awkward, though, uh, but being able to search your deck for three basic energy, kind of nuts. Not every deck is going to need this. I could see use cases for, like, Chin Pao uh, or any deck using Cherum to accelerate energy. Uh, probably even Guardi as well could, could really get use out of this. Um, just so, like, Cherum and Bax can just, like, accelerate it into play immediately. And then uh, with Guardi, you could you know, start discarding those psychic energies off of, like, refinement and stuff like that. So, uh, pretty alright card. I don't think you really do more than, like, play it as a one-of in, in any deck that might want to use it, but uh, overall not too bad, I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I definitely think it's going to have its uses, but uh, I agree. I, I don't think I would dedicate more than a one-of spot for this card. I mean, you always got to be careful with a card like this, you know? Just, uh, the potential of it being a dead draw is decently high. So, I'm always iffy on running multiple copies on cards like this. Yeah, that's why you typically, with like things like Raihan, you don't usually see more than like one, maybe two copies. Yeah. Unless it's, it's like a heavy one-prize deck that's like 
expecting to get KO'd every turn where they could take advantage of something like this basically yeah. every turn. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's bad. Alright, so I'm going to go ahead and move to our next trainer card on the list. We've got Patrol Cap. So as long as this Pokemon that the card is attached to is in the active spot, card in your deck can't be discarded by effects or your opponent's attacks, abilities, item cards, Pokemon duels, or supporter cards. It's a mouthful. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Uh, I mean, this is pretty cool. I uh, don't really see... I don't really think this would be that much of a useful card, but, I mean, kind of a cool niche counter to any kind of mill or something like that. Yeah, I think this card is so weird to me because it's like, it, it's anti-mill being printed in a format where no mill exists, right? Like, I mean, obviously there's Durant, there's like Trio, right? But like, those are like meme decks, at, at least in the current format, right? So... Not really anything that I feel like needs counters printed for. Um, so I don't know if this is just like Pokemon just wanting to be sure that Mill kind of has a counter in case it comes up. Uh, but I really don't think this is a card that needed to be printed. But I mean, I guess if you're a Mill hater, you have an option if it ever comes back. Yeah, yeah, that's about the best I could look at that card as it's just a potential... Well, let's go ahead and drop a little counter just in case we want to do anything more with Mill later on. That yeah, way. there have been like a few cards that have like kind of started like inching in that territory. You know, we talked about the Scoville and EX in our uh, news segment earlier. That's kind of in that wheelhouse, but again, I just really don't think that it's like. I don't know. I really just don't think you need to worry about it, honestly. But it is what it is. Pokemon likes to make sure they keep uh, Mill. And on occasion, control in check, even though they really don't need to sometimes. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, any kind of control or mill archetype will still find a way through this anyway, I think. Because, like, we do have tool removal and, like, lost vacuum. And the, this tool card needs to be in the active. So, like, escape rope or boss or, you know, yeah, you have ways to get around it. So... It, I think even if Mill is popular, this probably doesn't see much play anyway. I don't know. That's a tough one. But, you know, we need to wait for Mill to actually be good before we even think about that. <laughs> Definitely. Well, keeping in the line of weird tool cards, we have Revenge Punch. When the Pokemon this card is attached to is knocked out by damage from an attack of your opponent's Pokemon, put four damage counters on the attacking Pokemon. So... Not too uncommon. Uh, you know, we, we usually see tool cards like this. Uh, things like Bursting Balloon from X and Y. A giant Bomb from Sun and Moon. Um, not uncommon to see tool cards like this. This one is a little underpowered in comparison to those tool cards. Uh, doing only four damage counters. Um, but, you know, you gotta think, uh, especially recently, uh, you know, we've seen like Arceus decks play like Box of Disasters. Kind of a similar tool card uh, that reads, if the Pokemon V that this tool card is attached to has full HP and is knocked out by damage from an attack, the attacking Pokemon takes eight damage counters. Uh, kind of been Arceus's answer to uh, Gardevoir as of late. Uh, you know, that 80 damage always getting an even KO in return. 
Um, but it does have that stipulating factor is that it has to be on a full HP Pokemon V. Well, Revenge Punch can be applied to anything, and the Pokemon does not have to be at full HP, right? So this is kind of like a soft guardy counter. I think it's I think the balancing act is that it's doing less damage because it has less stipulations on it. And that does, in some situations, give the Guardi player some room to play around it. Um, you know, making sure they're not in range to be hit by the Revenge Punch. Maybe use something like a Reversal Energy to get the rest of the way without damaging yourself. You know, stuff like that. So, uh, pretty interesting card. I think it really only sees play in decks that like really, 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 really struggle with Gardevoir. Uh, that's about all I can think of, though. Yeah, uh, I definitely think it'll have its uses, but I mean, 40 damage isn't that much at the end of the day, so like you said, unless you just really, really need it, I think there's probably just better cards you could use in that card slot for the most part. Yeah, it ends up being pretty niche for a lot of archetypes. Yeah. Let's see. All right, next up on our list, we got our first supporter card here with uh, Gita. Is it Gita or Geta? I, I think it's Gita. At least that's how I've I, always I, said it. I'm pretty sure it's Gita. Anyway, <clears throat> we got Gita. So until the end of the turn you play this card, none of your Pokemon can attack, including Pokemon put into play this turn. Search your deck for up to two basic energy cards and attach them to one of your Pokemon, then shuffle your deck. I mean, it's not awful if you could get that, like, early a game, I guess. But, like, besides that, you know, I don't know. It's pretty restrictive. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting supporter card because it's definitely one of those things that, like, you would only ever want to play on your first turn going second. Um, so it is a little weird in that way. Uh, I, I think it's cool that the card like, allows you to continue taking, like, gameplay actions after you use it. Because I think the last time we had a supporter that was kind of similar to this was Kiawe and Sun and Moon, which kind of did the same thing, except with exclusively fire energy. But it forced you to end your turn, like, the moment you used it, right? So Gita's kind of cool, where it's like, you can play it, but still take game actions, you just can't attack. So, I, I like the card design there. Um... I, I don't know. I'm kind of split on how I feel about this one. On one hand, I think it's a I, I think it's a nice catch-all way for Pokemon with awkward energy costs to see play. Um, it just comes at the cost of like those decks potentially being slower or being more optimal going second, which is not great. Uh, you know, and, and I and I only have that perspective because we still have Deancey in the format for Astral Radiance. Uh, Deancey, with its Princess Curtain ability, as long as it's in the active spot, you prevent all effects of your opponent's supporter cards done to your uh, benched basic Pokemon. So, I think cards like this is how something like Copperaja EX sees play, where you can go second, you can get your Copperajas on the bench, you can get a Deancey in the active, and you can play Gita, accelerate the two metal energy or whatever, to the Q-Fant, it's protected from Gust, thanks to Deancey, and you probably need a second Deancey to, you know, prevent escape rope shenanigans. Um, and then, you know, the next turn you just attach for turn, you evolve, and boom, you got a Copper Raja ready to go. 
doesn't really solve setting up additional attackers past that. So it's one of those things that's like the longer you pick at it, the weirder it gets, right? Because you need the Pokemon. You need Deancey too if you expect an escape rope. And then you need the energy for the next turn, the evolution for the next turn, and then you got to figure out what you're doing with the other two Pokemon or with like your other attackers, right? So it does get a little weird there, I think, but I, I do think this opens the door for those Pokemon with just that are really only being held back by restrictive energy costs like Kabaraja. I, I think I think this is the best you have to make those C play until those energy types get support. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from there. I mean, I just, I think for the most part, it's just way too much work. You know what I mean? Like, just, I would just rather use something else. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, we do still have Mirage Gate in the format, which is the other, you know, the other great solver of awkward energy costs. So, yeah. But yeah, I again, it's just one of those things where it's like, if you're using that as your strategy, that means you're probably opting to go second, you know, so you can use it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just, like, the format is just too fast, you know, for that to be, like, extremely optimal. Maybe one deck could get away with it. Whatever that may be, I don't know. But, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. Because it's like, there's inherent strength there. But is the format too fast for a card like this? Probably so we might need uh, yeah. to wait for some rotations. Yeah, I, I definitely think the format is too fast for something like this. Yeah, I, th I think this is probably the most, at least the most thought-provoking card in the set. So I'd, I'd be very interested to hear our audience's opinion on this card. Hit us up on Twitter or in the Discord. We'd love to hear what you have to say. But moving right along, we have more supporters to talk about. We have Ortega. Look at your opponent's hand. Choose one card you find there and put it on the bottom of your opponent's oh. deck then your opponent may draw one card. Uh, I, I, I have no idea. Like, I think the obvious thing is, like, using it in a control kind of sense. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen a lot of, like, these hand control cards being printed lately. You know, we have the... Uh, Iano is kind of part of that, to be honest. The uh, Gothitelle from Paldea Evolved, which can control your opponent's top deck. Um... Several attacks have been printed that can do that, like on the Absol EX. Uh, there are attacks that can discard cards from your opponent's hand. We see that on Trevenant V and with Arbok EX in 151. There's Pokemon Snatch Arm in 151 that snatches Pokemon out of your opponent's hand, puts it at the bottom of the deck. Uh, Erica from Pokemon 151 that snatches a Pokemon from your opponent's hand, benches it, and makes it active. A lot of these weird hand control cards being printed right now, and I don't know. It, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think they mesh together super well, but also at the same time, because Ayano is such a popular card in the format, a lot of decks are being built in a way to prevent these low hand sizes with onboard draw, because that's how you counter Ayano, right? So it's like, I don't, I don't really know how to feel about these hand control cards right now. I just don't think that they really have a place in the metagame right now. Like, there's too much onboard draw for these to be particularly great. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. I just uh, think that it's not the right time in the format, at least for something like this, to shine. Maybe later, but definitely not right now. Yeah. 
All right. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our next supporter here, Poppy. So, Poppy's pretty simple. You move up to two energy cards from one of your Pokemon to another of your Pokemon. Uh, I don't know about you, but I really kind of like that. I wouldn't mind just putting a one of this in like most of my decks for just kind of any just-in-case scenario. It's a good kind of catch-all that'll help you out in quite a few scenarios, honestly. Yeah, it, it, it does open a lot of interesting lines of play to be able to do that. Just be like, oh, there's two energy up here all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> actually, I I didn't think of this until just now, but like you could kind of do that in Guardi, right? Like you can load up a, a Chilling Rain Gardevoir with like six energy. You know, it's about to get KO'd, so you can't do any more. And then you just go, okay... Psychic Embrace to the EX down here or whatever, and then you're just like, here's a Poppy. Put those two energy up on the Carnivore, you know? Push its damage output a little bit more. And then that's yeah. probably that's probably a little bit overkill, considering you have, you know, you could just attach from your hand for turn. You could also do Shining Arcanas. That's probably overkill and, and Guardy, but like, you know, kind of plays like that. I'm sure there are some decks that could take advantage of it. Um, but I think a lot of the top decks right now, I think like the energy acceleration in them is already just so good that you don't need to do something like that. But it is kind of funny to think about like plays that you could do with that. And in fact, actually, I don't know, maybe this is, maybe this is what you combo with Gita for those like awkward energy cost Pokemon, right? Cause it's like, like if I, if I use Gita to power up a Copper Raja EX, attach return and I'm swinging and I'm, I'm going that Copperage is about to get knocked out. I could play Poppy, move two of those energy back to a different Copperage, attach for turn, switch into it, start attacking with that one. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the perfect fit for the. I, a lot of Copperage coming from me today. I don't know where that came from, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you're, pre you're pretty in there with the <laughs> Listen, man, I love that card. That card has got mad potential, bro. It's just that awkward energy cost, man. Yep. So, so I don't know. I, don't, I mean. Kind of fun to think about, but I don't think many, at least many of the meta decks aren't going to take full advantage of it. But there, there, there are some niche cases here. Yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely not a bad card. It's just it's like you said. It's most of those most of the meta decks already have like a pretty solid way of doing this or handling like, like these issues. So you know, eh, we'll see. We shall see, indeed. Uh, we've got more supporters. Actually, our last supporter here for you. We have Rhyme, which is kind of interesting. They they revealed this like the full art of Rhyme, and we didn't get like the the base rarity until they revealed the entire set. Very interesting. But either way, you got Rhyme. Draw three cards and switch out your opponent's active Pokemon to the bench. Your opponent chooses the new active Pokemon. So essentially, getting a one sided escape rope effect and getting draw three cards out of it. Pretty cool. Uh, I've made it known in the past that I'm a pretty big fan of like these uh, weird cards with like a draw three kind of slapped on them. Uh, you know, things like Avery, things like Worker, uh, where it's like have this effect plus draw three. Pretty big fan of these cards, and I like that they're printing more of them continuing into Scarlet and Violet. I don't particularly, particularly think that Rhyme is that great in comparison to things like Worker and Avery. Uh, you know, th those escape rope effects are, like, really awkward on things like Gardevoir EX and, like, other evolving EX decks. Um, 
So that could be really good, but I think a lot of scenarios you're just... I, I think you would just opt for an escape rope there anyway. You know what I mean? It's like the draw three is nice, but like you could more or less get the same effect by playing escape rope and play a better draw supporter that turn. You know what I mean? That forces you to, to move as well, but like you can position your board in such a way that that's not like a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's kind of the issue with these type of cards. It's just uh, since they're trying to do multiple things, you know, it can't do either one of them too well. And I just, in my personal opinion, uh, I would rather have the card that does either one of these options really well. I'd rather have the card that lets me choose the Pokemon that I'm swapping out or the card that lets me draw anywhere potentially more than three cards, you know. And it is awkward because I can I can think of plenty of scenarios where you're like, well, this is the only option I got. But if I do this, I'll like I give him a free out of like whatever situation he's in. Just if you are in like that kind of lead, but you're both kind of bricking, or scenarios like that that becomes a lot more common when you try to rely on a card like this, where you have to play it in very less than optimal situations for you. I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, I think I think the guardy players kind of have an understanding of this. <sighs> Uh, you know, early game during your setup and the best draw supporter you have in hand is worker and you're just like, well, I, I gotta play it now. I need to draw some cards to set up and it's just a measly draw three, <laughs> you know. Um, having that stadium bump effect is nice, but, you know, when you need it for the draw, that's where it kind of, that's where it kind of stumbles a little bit. Um, but I don't know, these cards are always cool. Like I said, I'm a big fan of like the draw three plus X effect. Because it does, like, save space at the end of the day, right? Like, you know, that could be an escape rope and a draw supporter, or it could just be rhyme. You know, if you need to cheat that space for other cards, like, you have that option. So, it's pretty cool. Definitely. <laughs> but, uh, like you said, that uh, ties up all of our supporter cards, so we're going to go ahead... And move on to our two new Pokemon uh, Stadium cards. The first one being Town Department Store. So once during each player's turn, that may player search that player may search their deck for a Pokemon to a card, reveal it, and put it into their hand. Then that player shuffles their deck. Uh, this one's not a bad Stadium card. I actually kind of like this. I mean, it's pretty neutral. Uh, I always personally look at Stadium cards with a grain of salt because you have to just accept the fact that your opponent's going to be getting something out of them as well and it really just depends on what you're willing to let them get you know yeah it, it's kind of like about like weighing like certain opportunity costs like is is the benefit i get from this worth also giving it to my opponent type deal and you know that's always going to come down to the different decks and stuff but uh yeah i'm a big fan of this Ever since the tool card errata, tools have been a little bit unwieldy to use because, like, you know, all the old cards from Sword and Shield that treated tools as item cards, things like Celebrations Mew, things like Irida, things like Pokestop, those don't get your tool cards anymore, right? So tool cards have just kind of been floating in your deck. No real way to search them out unless you're committing deck space to playing Arvin, which... You know, that works really well for some decks, but for other decks, it just doesn't work. So a lot of decks lately have been playing their tool cards and pretty low counts just because the only way you find them is if you draw into them, right? Or, if, you know, yeah. barring certain things like Starbirth and stuff like that. Um, but now, uh, 
alongside Arvin, we now have Town Department Store, which helps make your tool cards a little easier to find, a little bit more consistent, right? Uh, so this opens the door for things like, I mean, like, again, like, you just get to play higher higher or less tool counts, actually, right? Depending on, like, the need, right? Because a lot of Arceus decks will play, like, a one-of-choice belt because you don't have any guaranteed way to find find it outside of Starbirth. So you don't want to commit to high counts to draw into it when you don't need it, but you also, like, want to have that option, right? So now you have that for a little added consistency. Uh, need I... Need I even mention finding Forest Sealstone off of this thing? Uh, Sky Sealstone, even. Uh, that that card has uh, kind of come out of play in the Lost Box decks just because it's been a little inconsistent. It makes it a little difficult to find when you can't poke a stop for it. Uh, but now you got Town Department Store. You know, maybe that's a little that, that little consistency boost that something like Sky Sealstone needs uh, to see play again. So who knows? But we do have one more stadium card here for you. Uh, and I like this one a lot, actually. It's one of those one of those stadiums where I read it at first. I was like, eh, that's really not that impactful. But the more I think about it, uh, the better it starts to sound. So you have the Pokemon League HQ. The attack cost for each basic Pokemon in play, both yours and your opponent's, is one colorless more. Uh, so if your deck has a problem against certain uh, decks that are geared around basic Pokemon, things like Chen Pao, things like Lost Box, uh, Pokemon League HQ could be your best friend. Just... Kind of give them that little bit of disruption. Say, hey, if you don't have Stadium Bump, you're going to need to put forth an extra energy in, able, in order to use your attacks, uh, which can be pretty disruptive uh, for uh, some archetypes. Um, a lot of people were pointing out, like, oh, this is pretty good against Lost Box because Lost Box are all basic Pokemon. And at first, I kind of discounted that. I was like, no shot. They have Mirage Gate. You know, they draw a ton of cards. They're playing a ton of stadiums right now. Like, Surely this doesn't like actually do anything to Lost Box, but the more you think about it, it kind of is like a. Is this is one of those cards that you would want to play in combination with other like disruption cards to compound the effect, right? Mm -hmm. So if you get into the late game, you know, knock out a Comfey, and then follow that up with on your next turn, you follow that up with like an Iano and Pokemon League HQ at the same time. So now it's like okay. You need to draw back into your combo pieces, whatever they were. You probably need a Mirage Gate. You have one less Comfey to do it. Uh, so it's like, you know, you need Stadium Bump and or Mirage Gate. You have one less Comfey to work with. I just gave you the hand disruption, so you maybe don't even have a Colrus in hand type deal. It's one of those things where it's like if you compound it with other disruptive cards, again, like Iano. Uh, I think it does actually do pretty good in the Lost Box. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, I think if that is the case, I think the Lost Zone players just respond to that by playing heavier counts of Lost Vacuum, maybe higher counts of Cramorant, because Cramorant's ability will ignore that extra colorless. It will still get to attack for free. Um, so there is definitely some counterplay available to the Lost Box players, but this might actually be more effective against Lost Box than I initially thought. And because of that, decks that don't get to see play because they're just so terribly destroyed by Lost Mine probably do get to see play, right? I think, like, putting the Pokemon League HQ in something like Zoroark Box, it could be just enough, just enough to get you what, like, enough of an edge in that matchup that maybe... Like Zoroark box can come to the table. I don't know. Kind of interesting. 
I agree. I think it's definitely interesting enough that uh, it should be tested for sure. Because <laughs> there is some potential there. But uh, I think that about covers all of our trader cards that we had to go over here. So we're going to move on to the Pokemon. Uh, we're going to start off pretty soft here with uh, Scovillain. So Scovillain has the ability double type. So it's both grass and fire. And it has the attack, uh, Spicy Headbutt, for 1 Grass Energy and 2 Colorless, 110 damage. This po this attack's damage isn't affected by resistance. Yeah, Scovillain, I think on the surface, is like a pretty simple card. And I think a lot of times, like, there's, there's like maybe two decks that can play this. Um, but I didn't want to highlight it because it is a multi-type ability. Those are always pretty interesting and always worth keeping in mind. Um, I think this could potentially have a home in a Zoroark box. Uh, just kind of, you know, cheat some space, get yourself your grass and your fire type attacker out of one slot. Um, you know, grass will be pretty relevant, uh, what with Dark Charizard coming out. Fire is not super relevant right now, so I think even, you know, even with that space cheating in mind, this probably doesn't see play over something like uh, base set Scarlet and Violet Scovillain, actually, which does a lot more damage. Uh, so, just something to keep in mind. And I had to put this on the list because you can play this in Sylveon. And that gets you plus 30 damage, or plus 60 damage from one Pokemon. That's kind of cool. I already theorycrafted it. I don't think it'll be very good. But it's kind of cool to think about. <laughs> you knew I had to, you knew I had to, to throw in some kind of Sylveon something here. <laughs> Of course. Of course, of course. It wouldn't be any translations if I didn't do that. But moving right along, we got Entei, a uh, basic fire-type Pokemon with 130 HP. Has the ability Pressure. As long as this Pokemon is in the active spot, your opponent's active Pokemon's attacks do 20 less damage before applying Weakness and Resistance. And it has the attack Blaze Ball for 3 colorless energy. You deal 50 damage plus an additional 20 damage for each fire energy attached to this Pokemon. Um, or sorry, 60 base damage. Sorry, read that wrong. Um, the ability on this is just super weird to me. Like, it has to be in the active spot, and you look at minus 20, you're like, oh my god, that's pretty good, actually. But then you realize that Entei has 130 HP, and that minus 20 is probably not doing anything for you in the long run. I think, like, best case scenario, you could attach a Bravery Charm to Entei, put it at 180 HP, and then the Pressure Ability combined with a debuff on Double Turbo Energy makes it to where Arceus's Trinity Nova doesn't get a KO, which is really funny to think about. But, like, eh, you know, okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh, other than that, Blaze Ball is, I think, deceptively kind of okay. Um... You know, especially with the Dark Charizard coming out in this set. Uh, Dark Charizard having the ability that once you put it into play, you search your deck for three fire energy and attach them to your Pokemon in whatever way you like. So, out the gate, at the very least, you're dealing 120 with this damage, or uh, 120 damage with this attack just by meeting the energy cost. Uh, and then, you know, you have Attach for Turn, you have Magma Basin, you could activate a second Charizard ability and just put more energy onto this guy. So this could be a pretty unique one prize attacker in the Charizard deck. Um, personally, uh, it's not a bad option by any means, but personally, I think there are probably some better options. Uh, 
I think the heat more from one of the sword and shield sets. I don't remember which one, but I think that heat more is probably a little bit better as it does some decent damage to the active and snipes a benched Pokemon for an absurd amount of damage. Uh, so much so that people have taken to calling it red Picarom. <laughs> you know, I think that might be a better one prize option. That's pretty energy hungry. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, don't sleep on the intake. It it has its niche for sure. Definitely. All right. Next up on our list, we got a water type with Seismitoad. So Seismitoad has the ability Quaking Area. As long as its Pokemon is in the active Pokemon active spot, your opponent's active Pokemon's attacks cost one colorless more. Uh, it's pretty good passive ability. Uh, with the attack. Echoed voice for two water energy, 120 damage. During your next turn, this Pokemon's echoed voice attack does 100 more damage. Uh, I mean, that's not bad, honestly, all around. Yeah, I, I don't know. It is one of those cards where it's just like they were so close, in my opinion, yeah, anyway, right? I, I, I was about to say, would I play it? I don't know, actually. But it's not, it's not that... I don't know, it's like almost there, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, because Quaking Area is a great ability, right? Like, forcing your opponent to have to attack for an additional colorless energy. And actually, it's really funny, when you combine it with the Pokemon League HQ, basic Pokemon will need to have two extra energy in order to attack, which is actually kind of funny. But my, my problem with it is, is that, like, the ability is good, the attack is good, but the problem is, you're not ever getting that, at least I feel like you're not really ever going to get that extra damage from the attack. Because, while 170 HP is respectable, there are so many decks in the format that can hit 170 like it's nothing. And so if you're getting knocked out, that means you're not getting to use Echoed Voice a second time. Which means you're never hitting for 220. Which means it's just, you know a plus one on their energy costs and just poking them for 120 every turn. And, mm-hmm. you know, like we said before, a lot of the top decks have really good energy acceleration that, like, something like this may not be a huge issue, right? Baxcalibur, you know, if you're playing against Chin Pao, then Bax, you know, all you have to do is just attach an additional energy to the Chin Pao with Baxcalibur that you're going to end up discarding anyway, right? So it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter where it goes. Uh, Guardi is just going to laugh at you if you... Put, put this card into play, honestly. Um, it, this would be pretty disruptive for things like Lost Box, because again, you know, they'd have to have Mirage Gate. You can compound this with Iano and with Pokemon, uh, Pokemon League HQ. You know, I mean, it, it has its uses against Lost Box for sure, and you're probably going to get, or because of that, you probably could get to the 220 against Lost Box. But if there's a deck that you don't need to hit 220 against, most of the time, it's Lost Box, right? Like, you maybe get the Pokemon V, maybe, but, like, I don't know. It's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, they're so close, but it just falls a little short. Yeah, definitely. All right, next up, we have Cryogonal, a basic water-type Pokemon with 90 HP. Uh, For one colorless energy, fast freeze, 30 damage. If you go second and it's your first turn... Your opponent's active Pokemon is now paralyzed. Um, I kind of like this. Um, it's been a while since we've seen, like, at least a halfway decent attack with the text. Mm-hmm. Or really halfway decent text that says if you go second and it's your first turn. It's been a while since we've seen cards that are, like, kind of good with that. 
I think Cryogonal is pretty decent. Like, the 30 damage poke is nice, and getting that guaranteed paralysis, uh, you know, if you're going second, is pretty nice, right? Because, you know, how many times you, you set up to play, you do the opening coin flip, your opponent wins, they say, I'm going to go first. And you're just like, uh, I really don't want to go second, because, like, going first is just such a big advantage, right? Having that paralysis kind of helps even things out, right? Um, I, I think, again, I, it's another one of those things where it's just like they were so close. Because if you think about it, it's your second, or you're going second, and it's your first turn. You paralyze them. That's great. Um, Gardevoir is just going to evolve out of the paralysis. V-Star decks will just evolve out of the paralysis. Lost Zone decks play a ton of switch cards. So they don't really care that they're paralyzed. They're just going to play a switch card and get out of it anyway. Um, you know, I think, like, Chin Pao probably gets hit by this pretty hard. Just because, like, there's not really much going on. Um, you know, if they're paralyzed, they don't play a ton of switch cards. And most of their Pokemon are basics. So, or most of their Pokemon, like, end at being a basic. So there's no evolutions that can be done there. Um, so... I, I think against some decks, this is pretty good. Uh, this could genuinely help Arceus decks against Chen Pao, because uh, Arceus does not have a great Chen Pao matchup. But I think other than that, eh, it is level ball searchable at least, so you don't have to run like a whole bunch of them. <laughs> There's that. Uh, yeah, definitely just uh, doesn't feel like it's doing quite enough. But, uh, I don't know, even in running it in, like, Arceus and whatnot, I just... Personally, I don't think that, like, it's that helpful, you know? Actually, yeah, now that you mention it, because if you're, if you're playing it in Arceus, that means you're committing your turn one attachment to the Cryogonal, and you're yeah. no closer to powering up Arceus, because you still need two attachments on the Arceus. So, yeah, that is a little weird. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it, it, I think it does have some niche potential. Yeah, I think later on as we get to, like, just the Scarlet-Violet metagame, like, once we get filtered out all the Sword and Shield cards, like, Cryogonal will always be an option just in case, like, basic EX Pokemon become too good. Yeah. Because I, th I think that's where it'll shine, right? If you're playing, like, an Evolution deck and you need to slow down the basic attacking decks before they get too crazy... If mm -hmm. you're going second, then like I think I think the the cryogonal is really good for that. But you know that that is a meta game far far away that we will not have to yeah, worry about for a long time. I was about to say that's a little too far to uh, bother predicting just yet. Yeah. But uh, anyway, moving on here into our next Pokemon, we have Lunatone. So Lunatone has the ability New Moon. If you have any Soul Rock in play, prevent all effects of your opponent's stadium cards done to your Pokemon. And then for one Psychic Energy and two Colorless Energy, you can do Moon Press for 100 damage. Uh, once again, a little lackluster in my opinion. Yeah, the ability to prevent any effects of stadiums done to your Pokemon is... First off, it's really unique. Like, I'm not entirely sure if any card like this has ever been printed. Super cool effect, and on paper, it sounds great, right? Because it's like, oh, 
I don't have to worry about my abilities being turned off from Path, or, oh, I don't have to worry about my Pokemon going to the Lost Zone, you know, this, that, the other. But then you think, like, that's going to take two bench spaces for two 90 HP Pokemon that aren't, that don't, like, just don't have good attacks, right? So it's just like, yeah. I don't know. I think there are some decks that could, like, get some niche use out of this. Um, but a lot of the decks that, like, you would probably immediately think of, things like Gardevoir, things like Chin Pao, those decks, like, need their entire bench for everything else, right? They need their entire bench for Curlias, they need their entire bench for Bidoof, Sinbax Calibers, and stuff like that. They don't have room to play these cards. On the flip side, I do think that the very few decks in format, i.e. Arceus that don't go super wide on their bench could make great use out of this, right? Because what I've seen a lot in my recent testing, you know, there there are certain decks playing Path. Uh, of course, like Arceus variants playing Path. Uh, Giratina V-Star, the Lost Zone variants are playing Path now. And what I've seen a lot of is that these Quad Path Arceus decks, it's just like whoever gets the Path down first, right? And, you know... If you're playing that matchup, or one of those matchups, and somebody plays Path before you use Starbirth, and you're sitting there like, well, I, I don't have any Stadium removal, I don't have Stadium bumps, because all I play is Path, I that's it. I just, unless they remove it for me, I don't have Starbirth. And, you know, games are lost that way. Like, it's part of why I've always been, like, advocating for at least one non-Path to the peak Stadium in Arceus Giratina. That's just me, but... Now you think about it, these quad path Arceus decks don't really have to go super wide on the bench so that they could potentially have room for a 1-1 Lunatone and Solrock. That way you could just put those into play, and if your opponent tries to path you, then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to Starbirth anyway. But path is still working for your opponent, right? So if you know if they put a path down that's hurting them for whatever reason, they're going to be affected by path, you're not, and you could just go along with things is what it is. So kind of cool, but... Not very many ducks can kind of use that, so maybe won't see a ton of play, but uh, who knows? Maybe. Moving right along to our first EX Pokemon here. Uh, in fact, actually, the rest of the cards we have to talk about are EXs. This is one that I'm really excited for, but has proved to be difficult to build a deck around. Uh, we have Vespaquin EX. Uh, Psychic type stage 1 EX Pokemon. It is Terra type shifted, which is really cool. 270 HP, uh, has the same boring Terra rule as every other Terra Pokemon, as long as this Pokemon is on your bench, prevent all damage done to this Pokemon by attacks, both yours and your opponents, boo. Anyway, for one Grass Energy, you have Recovery Pheromones, heal 60 damage from one of your Pokemon, and for three Grass Energy, you have Phantom Queen, 200 damage, and you put three damage counters on each of your opponent's bench Pokemon that has any damage counters on it. So I think, like, in a vacuum... I think Phantom Queen is just, like, an absurd attack. But, like, when you really think about, like, the logistics of setting that up... First, you have the Cumbi. They're 50 HP, basic Pokemon. Very easy to knock out, especially with Sableye in the format. Then you have to deal with the fact that you need three Grass Energy to attack. And there's not really that great Grass Energy acceleration right now. I mean, you have things like Fortress EX. You have things like Gardenia's Vigor... Uh, which are fine, but not ideal for this specific card, I think. And then you also have Cherum from Battle Styles, which is kind of like a Rain Dance type effect, but for Grass Energy. 
But even that's a little awkward because Cherim can't accelerate to rule box Pokemon, so you would have to set up the Cherim, attach all the energy to the Combi, then evolve. Let me remind you, the Combi has 50 HP. <laughs> and then you need to find a way to get damage counters on your opponent's Pokemon before you get the full effect of the spread, right? And there are options for that, sure, but like, you know, some of those involve ending your turn because it's an attack. Some of them require you to deal damage, which gets blocked by Manaphy. Others require energy costs that aren't grass, which means you got to put in luminous energy. You know, it just gets all kinds of awkward the more and more you think about it. I think there's enough in the card pool to make it work, but it's going to need a really, really, really specific 60 that is going to take some time and effort to iron out before this thing sees any kind of play. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a little... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say crazy, but this is uh, definitely something that's going to need some a lot of time at the drawing board, I think, before we start seeing some working deck lists. Yeah, this is the card that once it was revealed, I immediately went to the lab and was like, all right, how do I make this work? I did, like, a whole epitome on my Twitter. <laughs> I was like, bro, I'm committed to making this work because it's just, it's so cool, man. Like, I don't know. It's something about it is just really cool. And the fact that it's, like, putting three damage counters and not dealing 30 damage, that doesn't get blocked by Manaphy, right? So as long as you get those damage counters into play, you know, you're not, your opponent really can't stop it unless they're playing something like Toad Scroll EX, I guess. But I don't know. It's just a really interesting card. Uh, last thing I'll say about it is that it does have an unfortunate typing combination, I think. Uh, being a psychic type is all well and good, uh, but you are weak to darkness in the exact same set that releases Dark Charizard EX, so that's problematic. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sure I know what some of you are probably thinking, oh, well, you can just play a grass-type attacker, because, you know, you're already playing the grass energies anyway, right? You can just play a grass-type attacker and hit the Charizard for weakness with that. No problem. Well, grass-type Pokemon are weak to fire-type Pokemon, which the Charizard deck will be playing. So it's just like... It's just such an unfortunate combination of types to release right alongside Darkzard, you know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. like, that. Just dude, that just feels so bad. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's super cool uh, card. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I was about to say, it de definitely does look cool, and I'm excited to see what uh, other people come up with, because <laughs> I'm definitely not going to put my own time towards that. <laughs> it just seems like a little too much. Don't worry, I got <laughs> you, I got you, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we're about wrapped up here, we're on our second to last Pokemon, but we still got some good ones. So we got Glamora EX, is that how you say that too? Yeah, I think so. Oh. Uh, a lot of these Scarlet and Violet Pokemon, I'm going to be honest, I don't know how they're, how they're actually pronounced. Like, yeah, very, just... A lot of really weird names in Scarlet yeah. and Violet. Yeah. Anyway, so we got Glamora EX here with the ability Dust Field. As long as this Pokemon is in the active spot, your opponents can't have more than three bench Pokemon. If they have four or more bench Pokemon, they discard bench Pokemon until they have three Pokemon on the bench. If more than one effect changes the number of bench Pokemon allowed, use the smaller number. So, I mean, that's pretty crazy ability there. I mean, uh, anything that limits your opponent's bench space in a uh, format like this with a fair amount of evolutions and whatnot, 
is automatically pretty good, in my opinion. Especially since it's just a stage one. Yeah, as uh, as frequent purveyors of the X and Y format, where Parallel City is everywhere, uh, yeah, that's a pretty strong effect. I think... I, I think the limitation of it having to be in the active, I think, is kind of like a fair way to go about it. Because you're right, mm-hmm. like, that is just so absurdly disruptive. Because, I, I mean, I, I just talked about it earlier with Luna, uh, Lunatone and Solrock. So many decks have to go wide on their bench to fulfill their strategy, right? And, you know, having a Glamora EX, even if you're not using it for its attack, which we'll break down here in just a second... Even if you're not using it for its attack, you can just play like a high number of switch cards. And just every now and again, when when the resources align or when you get knocked out and have a switch card in hand, you can just put this Glamora active and force your opponent to discard their bench Pokemon until they have three. And then you, you know, pivot back into your game plan, right? And just force them to constantly do it over and over again throughout the turn. I can only imagine how the Mew players would deal with that. I gotta be honest. Yeah, I, I don't think they'd be happy, honestly. Yeah, combine that with a Spirit Tomb, really ruin their day? Heck yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Anyway, uh, it's attack for two fighting energy. Poisonous Gem, 140 damage. Your opponent's active Pokemon is now poisoned. Uh, honestly, this is a, a pretty respectable Pokemon, in my opinion. With that ability, I mean, a two energy attack, that's not a lot to get off the ground. You're doing 140 plus poisoning. I mean nothing really you can be upset with here yeah i mean i i think it's a pretty strong card all things considered again dustfield is just such a crazy ability in my opinion that like it's worth running for that alone if if you have the deck space of course um and if you do have the fighting energy to supplement its attack i mean two fighting for 140 is pretty efficient it's not too bad plus you get the extra tick damage from poison so it's really like really 150 we still have uh, Radiant Hisuian Sneasler in the format, which can boost that to at least 30 poison damage. Uh, so 140 is already pretty respectable. It misses the mark on like stage 2 EXs and VMAXs. Uh, kind of gets to that three-shot territory. Unless you have the Radiant Hisuian Sneasler, then you're fine. You're like in a two-shot territory for those there. But also, you're hitting Arceus V-Star for weakness, which is kind of it's kind of nice. 140 Times two, 280, knockout Arceus. Uh, and again, for two energy on a stage one EX with 270 HP. That's, again, that's pretty respectable. So big fan of Glamora EX. Uh, one last card to round us out, and I'm sure a lot of y'all were waiting for us to talk about this one. He's back. Pidgeot EX. Where is he? There he is. Pidgeot EX is a stage 2 colorless Pokemon with 280 HP, so really light on the HP for a stage 2 EX. This is kind of an HP value you'd expect to see on like a stage 1 EX Pokemon, so as far as stage 2 go, uh, it's uh, pretty frail. But it has the ability Quick Search. Once during your turn, you may search your deck for a card and put it into your hand, then shuffle your deck. You can't use more than one Quick Search ability each turn. And for 2 colorless energy, has the attack Fierce Winds, 120 damage, and you may discard a stadium card in play. Now, a lot of people have been, like, kind of back and forth on the viability of this card. Uh, for those not in the know, this is essentially a spiritual reprint of Pidgeot from the EX Fire Red and Leaf Green set back in the EX era. Uh, back then, it was a 90 HP one-prizer Pokemon uh, with an attack that prevented retreating. So, 
And of course, you know, back in that era, rare candy you could use on turn one or the turn that a Pokemon came into play, right? So, you know, you could essentially get a quick search Pidgeot out turn one, uh, you know, if you had the rare candy and the, the Pokemon to do it, right? So there are some differences between Pidgeot EX and the Pidgeot of old, and some people are thinking that this card is just not right for the metagame. And then I read text that says, once during your turn, you may search your deck for one card. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, like, I get it. The, the metagame is a lot faster. I get it. This is a somewhat squishy two-prize Pokemon. Uh, you know, all that fun stuff. I get it. But you're telling me I can... Dude, you're searching your deck for any one card once every turn. That's deck thinning. That's completing combo pieces. You know they had to make it a spec for this effect. Computer search <laughs> had this exact effect, except you had to discard two cards from your hand, and you could only play one copy of it. That's an A spec. They limited you to one copy of a card that could do this, that does it every turn. I'm sorry, I don't understand how even in a format as fast as this, that it maybe isn't as friendly to a stage two engine like this. I don't understand how this doesn't see play, man. I'm sorry, I just don't get it. Granted, I think it's a lot less ubiquitous than Pidgeot was in the EX era. Like, in the EX era, like, you know, the format was slower. Every deck needed, like, a turn, maybe two or three to set up, right? And, of course, again, the rare candy errata makes a big deal. But surely, right, there are some niche decks that can get some use out of this, right? I think, like, for this card to see play in our modern format probably has to be in a deck that already relies on Stage 2 Pokemon and is already playing, like, a heavy count of, thing of like, rare candy, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I just don't see how this doesn't see play. Again, I'm not saying that it's going to be, like, this almighty broken best engine thing right out the gate, because it probably won't be, right? We still have the Refinement Engine. Uh, we still have the Lost Engine. Of course, Fusion Strike has their own thing going on. Like, a lot of the decks in the game right now are really fast. And honestly, as great as Quick Search is, you could set up a Barrel and be just as fine, right? Like, Barrel Squovit, we saw that that's a super consistent engine. It's not searching your deck for cards, but you're more than likely going to get the cards you need anyway, right? Like, the probability on that is generally pretty high if you sequence it properly, so there's a lot of people being like, well, I'll just play Barrel and draw into it, right? And we saw that same kind of push and pull between Surge and Draw in the uh, Sword and Shield format, right? It was like there are some decks that can play the Shady Dealings engine, and they can play Barrel. So it's like, pick and choose. Do you want to play Barrel or do you want to play Shady Dealings, right? So I think it's kind of mm -hmm. the same thing here, just to a little bit of a lesser extent. Uh, TLDR, I think this card is really good, and y'all are just being mean. Uh, I can definitely see where you're coming from, where a lot of people kind of seeing this card and passing on on it and thinking it's just not uh, good enough for the format right now. I mean, I can definitely see where they're coming from, I have to say. I, and I probably do lean a little bit more towards that way myself. But I, I will say I can also see where you're coming from. I do think this card does have some... Uh, pretty solid potential for the most part i mean you're not really doing anything bad quick search is obviously uh, a really good ability and fierce wins i mean is a respectable attack in my opinion if just a little bit too low on damage but i mean i would be willing to 
try to figure out how to use this in a deck or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the text searcher deck for any one card is just inherently strong on its own. Um, definitely something that can't be slept on. And if, you know, if nothing else, right? Like, I think Pidgeot EX will see play once Obsidian Flames comes out. Again, I think it'll be, like, a little bit more niche. Won't see as much play as I think people might have expected a card like this to see play, especially considering how good Quick Search Pidgeot was back in the EX era. But uh, I do definitely think it has its place in the metagame. And if nothing else, once the Sword and Shield stuff rotates, this card will probably be everywhere. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can uh, agree with that. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for our coverage of Obsidian Flames. Again, not really too much to go off of here. Uh, I will be 100% honest, this set is a bit of a filler set. Uh, there are definitely some cards we could have talked about, uh, but in the essence of time, we felt that it was just better to just talk about the cards that we thought might actually see tournament play. Um, so if you're interested about the rest of the cards, there are some interesting cards here um, that we could talk about, but um, again, it, you know, a lot of the set is just kind of whatever. So if you're interested in reading up on the rest of the cards, I will leave a link to all of the translations in the episode description. So check that out below. We just, uh, you know, hit the ones that we hadn't hit before and the highlights from the set that we thought were worth talking about. So definitely check them out. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at DamageCounter, DamageCounterPodcast at gmail.com if you prefer email. Or you can hit us up on our community Discord. We're always in there talking about shiny cardboard and Pokemon and stuff of that nature. So if you have any overlying thoughts about the Obsidian Flames set, or rather Ruler of the Black Flame set, which will be part of our Obsidian Flames set, uh, or if you think there's any cards that we missed that we should have talked about, definitely hit us up in there. Let us know. But I think with that being said, Josh, that is going to put episode 38 in the bag. In the bag. I want to thank everyone, as always, for tuning in. I uh, appreciate you all stopping by. Showing your support uh, means the world to us. Of course, don't forget to check us out on the aforementioned Twitter, email, community Discord. And uh, if your podcasting platform of choice has the option for reviews, definitely uh, do not hesitate to leave us a five-star review if you feel it in your heart to do so. Uh, for platforms like Apple Podcasts and Audible, we do read five-star reviews out at the beginning of every episode. So if you've not left a five-star review on those platforms yet, well, go ahead and do that. Write a nice little message. It'll be uh, right out here on the show. So definitely do that for us. Helps us out. Uh, gets the podcast in front of more people for more people to listen to when they search Pokemon TCG. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at EmmerDCP. That's E-M-E-R. DCP is in Damage Counter Podcast. And you can find me at Smiling underscore Anarchy. And of course, don't forget to also check out the Damage Counter YouTube channel. Uh, we've had some videos go up there recently with more on the way. So definitely check it out. Subscribe. Stay tuned because uh, we've got some stuff cooking. So that being said, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.